a few few moments to let everybody come in. As you guys do come on in, let me know if you can hear the sound. Give me a thumbs up. Let me know everything is working right. And uh, we'll get this show on the road here shortly. Now, as you guys are starting to come in, uh, please, please hit that thumbs up button, guys. I'm seeing here 23, 24 likes. Those are rookie numbers. We're going to pump those up. So if you guys want free 99 knowledge, I got to get free likes. So uh, get the likes going. Hopefully you guys are having a great Friday evening. Uh, I'm having a I'm having a great ball. So uh, enjoying myself. So fortunate that I can do these live streams now and kind of being a full time YouTuber and really just showing you guys everything that I know as far as investing and really being transparent and teaching you everything I know. Uh, I don't have any kind of hidden agenda. I do like to have a lot of fun and poke uh, fun at a lot of different strategies, but of course. The main topic for today's strategy will be index investing. Uh, that's my bread and butter. That's the only thing that I really know how to do well. So tonight we're going to talk a lot about index funds. We're going to talk about indexes in particular as well and kind of understanding different indexes. Uh, and then I'm going to have some fun like I always do. I'm not going to talk about ARK tonight, but I'm going to talk about Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin uh, deserves uh, some attention for me. So I'm going to talk about Bitcoin. And then I'll just at the end, uh, like always, I'll leave it open up to you guys. We'll do a Q&A, whatever questions you have. I'm the man of the people. So without you guys, uh, I wouldn't exist. So uh, we're going to do a big, maybe half hour, even longer Q&A. Uh, so grab your favorite beverage, guys. I'm ready if you're ready. Uh, we still got a few more minutes here, so just give me a few more thumbs up in the chat, letting me know if the sound's okay. I'm trying a different sound uh, instrument today. I don't know if it's going to be echoey or not. Just let me know if that's okay. Uh, Everyday Pro, what's going on, man? Index is all we need. That's right. Cheers to uh, index investing. All right, guys. Anybody know how the sound is? I still haven't heard any feedback on the sound. What's going on, Anatoly17? Hey guys, big shout out to Anatoly, our newest private member. Uh, Justin, thanks for the thumbs up, man. So it uh, looks like the sound is going all right. Um, so yeah, big shout out to Anatoly, our newest private member. What's going on, uh, Justin, Beach Girl? All right, sounds good, perfect. All right, guys, I think it's about almost eight o'clock. Let me see, 7.57, I got three more minutes. Uh, so if I got three more minutes, just wanna introduce a few people and give shout outs to our private members. Uh, Scott, Clark, Stanley, Bob. Unfortunately, Bob uh, was in the chat, but he can't make it. He's uh, in a different YouTuber's live stream, but big shout out to you, Bob. Uh, Buck, Kevin, Kevin, a real bright young man. Zod, Alex, Richard, and of course, Anatilly17. I just saw you in the chat. Uh, let's see what else we got in the chat. Jeremy, what's going on, Jeremy? Carnivore Nurse, how are you? Ethos, hey, Ethos. Thanks uh, for making it to the live stream, Ethos. Ethos, guys, by the way, if you are interested in a channel that goes into detail and you're a really detail-oriented person, go check out Ethos's, uh, Ethos Investing channel. It's a really good channel. Beach Girl says, I need a female on that list. Uh, yeah, you're right, Beach I do not have a female private member. Uh, how are we going to change that? Uh, maybe, maybe tonight, uh, by the way, if you do guys want to become private members, hold off. Don't become private members yet. 
I am changing the structure on that. I didn't feel right charging everybody different fees, so I will be making a flat fee private membership that's gonna include uh, the shout outs, the Discord, as well as early access to my video. So don't sign up for that yet until YouTube approves my new flat fee, but it's gonna be a flat fee of $4.99 for everybody. Uh, that way, hopefully it's more affordable and, uh, than the previous structure I had, uh, and we'll get that live here shortly. All right, I think it's time to roll. So. The main topic tonight, like I said, is gonna be about actual index funds and indexes. So the thing about index funds that I want you guys to understand is uh, you, might un you might hear from other YouTubers or you might hear in the news that you know index investing is a passive approach to investing. It's a passive strategy. Well, on the contrary, I like to argue that index investing is not that passive. So at its core, index investing uh, when you think about what an index fund is, it's simply a, a group or a basket of stocks that is managed by a fund manager who tracks a specific index. And in doing the tracking of the index, they're trying to eliminate tracking error. They're trying to get as close to that index as possible. Um, so that is what an index fund is. And it differs from an actively managed mutual fund where you might have a fund manager who is still benchmarked to a specific index but that fund manager is trying to outperform. That's the big difference, outperform versus trying to track the index as closely as possible. So yes, you might hear the misconception that index funds are actually passive. I don't think they're passive. When you get into an index fund, you have to understand some of the basics of that index fund. So you have to do some upfront research because not all index funds are created equal. So when picking a strategy, that actually involves upfront work. Uh, to say that indexing is a passive uh, investment strategy, it's actually incorrect because I, before I got into the funds that I get into, I get into a lot of research. I get into the nuts and bolts of the funds almost as if I were picking individual stocks. Now, you know, I don't like to pick individual stocks, but if I were picking individual stocks, I'd be doing the same exact research. So it's not really passive. You can't just blindly pick an index fund. And I tell you guys all the time, yeah, buy an S&P or buy a total market. Absolutely, yes, you can blindly do that. But still, there is funds within funds that you need to understand how they operate. Even a total market, you have about three or four different total market index funds. So you might have a total market fund that tracks the Dow Jones total market. You might have a total market that tracks the Wilshire 5000, maybe the Russell 3000, maybe the Crisp total market index, maybe the S&P 500. What are these different freaking indexes and why is when you look at a fund, it's a very important to understand what index it's tracking. So when you are trying to pick index funds, you wanna look at a couple of things, and this is where we're gonna go uh, start off with basically how index funds work as an overall strategy. Now, if you guys do have questions, I do see some questions popping up. I will try to make some time towards the end. So let me just kind of get on my spiel here with this index fund, uh, as far as picking index funds and how uh, to pick index funds, and I'll get to your questions a little bit later. So when you when you find, let's say, a strategy, you want to do a total market strategy, um, you start by breaking down a few things on a fund. You want to look at expense ratios. This is very important. You can have an S&P 500 fund from Wells Fargo that charges 95 basis points to invest in it, or you can have an S&P 500 fund from Fidelity that charges one and a half basis points, your pick, right? So they're exactly the same. They're tracking the S&P 500, but those expense ratios are so different. So it's very important to look at expense ratios. Not in every case is the cheapest expense ratio the best, but 
almost, it's a good rule of thumb, the cheaper the expense ratio, the better the fund will perform when it comes to index funds. So expense ratio, the next thing you wanna look at is turnover rate. Turnover rate is so underrated in this environment where everything is traded day in and day out and SPY's volume is something like 33 billion a day. Turnover is very important. The lower the turnover, generally, the lower the expense ratio, the lower the capital distributions on a mutual index fund. This is important because if you are in a taxable account, in a brokerage account where there's no tax advantages and you're investing in a high turnover fund, you will be affected by capital distributions that that fund, once that fund makes money and it turns stocks over, you'll have to pay those capital distributions. So it's very important to look for low turnover. In an S&P 500 or total market, the turnover is generally less than five, or let's say seven to seven to 5% is the turnover, five to 7%. What that means is a 25% turnover generally means that a quarter of the stocks are traded, bought and sold in that index fund throughout the year. That's too high for S&P or total market. So you're, you're looking for a turnover under 7%. The next thing you wanna look at is the index that it tracks. So I told you there's a couple of different indexes. I'll break down some of the sort of flashy indexes like Dow Jones, Industrial Average. You might watch the media or a financial uh, uh, channel on TV and all they talk about is the Dow's dropped 500 points. Well, the Dow is something that the media uses to track the stock market. It's not a really good index at the end of the day. It's only 30 stocks in it. It doesn't really tell you what the US market is doing. So a better index to look for will be something like the S&P 500, which makes up the 500 or sometimes 508, 510 of the largest US companies. And that is about 80% of the US market. So that's a better one to track. But if you wanna take it a step further, maybe the, SM, maybe the Russell 3000 or the CRISP total market index or the Dow Jones total market index, those will track the 3000, 3500 total stocks in the US. Now those indexes are not as popular on the news, so you might not see them on TV, but they're very important indexes because they encompass the entire stock market. Once you know what index it's tracking, you need to do some individual research on that index. You guys need to figure out how long that index has been around, what has been the historical performance of that index. You need to know that index inside and out. Do not just blindly pick a fund and say, okay, great, this tracks this index. I've heard of this index, it must be good. Staying on track with the index, there is such a thing as that's called a tracking error. So a fund manager will do as best of a job as a fund manager can to do what the index does. But the index is a living, breathing thing and mutual index fund is separate from the index. So it tries to track the index. It doesn't always do the best job, sometimes futures contracts and swaps and cash and different things that come in and out of the fund will cause a fund to have a bad tracking error. When looking at tracking error, if you see a fund that has performed, let's say 10% year to date, but if you look up that index and that index has done 13%, that's a big problem. That should be a big red flag that something is wrong. This index fund that I'm in is not doing a good job tracking whatever index I intended it to track. So tracking error is another thing. After you have all those figured out and all, and you find an index that checks all those boxes, you find a fund that checks those boxes, please move on to the composition or the breakdowns of the fund. Not every index fund is created equal. So a lot of the times there's a lot of different marketing ploys that companies will use. And Fidelity is really good with this, but it's not just Fidelity Vanguard. 
Charles Schwab, anybody that really issues index funds. So a good one that I like that I always see is, as I've talked to you guys before on the channel, is small cap value. And I've done a video comparing Vanguard small cap value to Fidelity small cap value. The name of the fund is the same, but the name of the fund means absolutely nothing to you. So when you break down the composition, you want to dig deeper and see exactly how much is in value, how much is in blend, how much is in growth, what percent is in small caps, what percent is in micro caps, is there any mid caps? Because believe it or not, a fund could be called small cap, but be 50% mid cap, and it's still called a small cap fund. So it's very important to understand as you look at the composition of a fund, is this fund really what you're looking for or is this fund just kind of named what you're looking for but the internals the guts and then the nuts and bolts of the fund don't make sense so that's very important to know the last thing i look at when trying to figure out when to buy an index fund or what kind of index fund to buy is performance unfortunately performance is not a good indicator of anything uh, if you read a prospectus or if you see any commercials for index funds or etfs you might see that it says uh, past performance does not guarantee future results. And that saying is not just there as a warning. I mean, it is there as a warning, but that saying is there because past performance tells you nothing. You can find the fund that has performed awesome in the past. I'm talking about 15, 20% returns compounded annually. That does not mean that the next year you're guaranteed 15 to 20%. As a matter of fact, more likely than not, you're guaranteed poor performance the, the upcoming years because the fund has done so well. And uh, investing principle that I'll talk a little bit later, probably I've talked in some of my videos, but reversion to the mean kicks in and brings the fund down. So past performance, really, I use it as a gauge. And sometimes I use it to figure out if a fund is undervalued, but I never really want to look at it to make my final decision. Now, if you are just picking broad-based, low-cost index funds, you're done. That's all the info you really need. If you're looking for a total stock market, a total international, total bond, very easy to find those. Minimal research, I would say 30 to 40 minutes, you can find the right index fund that fits your strategy. Now, if you're looking for something a little bit more specific, and I'll use small cap value as an example, because I have a small cap value fund. So if you're looking for something specific with a value tilt maybe, well then you have to ask yourself, what's important in value funds? What am I searching when I'm picking up a value fund? Well, I'm searching for companies that are undervalued. I'm looking for companies like Warren Buffett does that, that are undervalued, but except you're looking for funds that are undervalued. So the way you do that is you look at price to book. So the price to book basically, the lower the price to book ratio, what it tells you is basically what the companies P, P, uh, price to book ratio is in those funds. So let's say FISVX is a fund that I show you guys on my channel a lot. When you look at the price to book ratio, it's about 1.37. The lower or closer to one that price to book ratio is, the more undervalued the fund is. So for example, an S&P 500 fund, the price to book ratio is about 3.5. Uh, generally, that tells you something is overvalued because that's a little bit too high of a price to book. Now, there is no good rule of thumb that says, okay, if you see this price to, price to book, this is the fund you go to. But generally, when you look at value, you want it to be under 1.5%. When you look at a blend fund, around 25 to 3 And when you look at a growth fund, price to books, I've seen with ARC funds, 76, 80, uh, which again, are, are, are not sustainable. But again, it, all that means is that the stocks within that fund are trading in multiples of 70 or 80 over what they're actually worth. And 
that's when you get into trouble. So that's how you pick funds. Uh, once you figure out which funds you wanna own, the next thing you have to do is freaking buy the funds. So you gotta find a broker. Now, not all brokers are like either. So I recommend Fidelity, I recommend Vanguard, I recommend Charles Schwab, some of the bigger low cost commission-free brokerages. With these platforms, you can buy for free. With Fidelity, you can buy with minimums of zero, which I really like, especially for beginner investors. Vanguard is not there yet. Uh, I don't know if Vanguard is, uh, is working on lowering some of their barriers to entry on some of their funds, but funds like VTSAX, which is a very popular fund, has a higher uh, minimum entry. Now you can buy the ETF version on Vanguard's website, I believe for as little as one share, which is trading at 200 bucks. But again, lower the lower the entry or the lower the barrier to entry, in my opinion, the better uh, that platform should be for you because you essentially wanna be able to put in as much money as you can or as little as you can. So when you're just starting out, maybe you only have 50 bucks and that's okay. I was. When I started investing, I didn't have all this extra cash that I can dump into the market. 50 bucks is 50 bucks. Uh, think of it as every dollar is compounding. So find a brokerage like Fidelity or like Charles Schwab or uh, even M1 Finance, even though M1 Finance only has ETFs, it is a commission-free, uh, essentially dollar or $10 uh, investment brokerage where you can invest with as little as 10 bucks. So find that brokerage, and then you wanna make sure you find funds within that brokerage that fit these different categories that I just discussed. Once you figure all that stuff out, you're ready to start investing. All you have to do then is pick the funds, buy the funds, and the most important thing is put money into your portfolio. If you guys are not putting money into your portfolio, unfortunately, your portfolio is not gonna grow. I don't care if you have the best strategy on earth, and I, I believe I have the best strategy. I believe the Mucky 3 is the best strategy. If you don't put money in, it will never amount to anything. So it's so important to put money in. The way I like to put money in is in an automated system. So I like to basically get in 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, I don't care what it is. I, I have a percentage off my paycheck that I deposit into my brokerage every single month. I don't care what happens in the stock market. And then I, what I do is I take that a step further by automating that process. So I do the automatic buys according to my strategy. And I never ever turn that off unless of course there's a hardship or something where you actually don't have the physical money. Ideally, you wanna keep this going for as long as you can. This is what's also known as dollar cost averaging and it works with investing. The reason it works is every single month you're buying at whatever the price point is in the market. You're not too concerned with if, if the market's overvalued, if it's undervalued. You have your strategy, you stick with your strategy, you don't worry about anything else. Once you learn that dollar cost once you learn what dollar cost averaging is, which is just buying at uh, at any random set time. So, like I said, once a week or once a month, uh, what you'll end up doing is buying at all these price points as the market is moving. And if you just draw a flat line, you're going to have the average return of the market by dollar cost averaging. You're not really taking on less risk, in my opinion, versus lump sum investing. And for lump sum investing, let's say if you're somebody who's looking to get into the stock market and you have $10,000 in cash, I think you're better off putting that 10,000 in at once versus spreading that 10,000 over 10 month period. Because at the end of the day, whether you buy, uh, whether you buy uh, once a month or you buy all at once, after 10 months, you have 10,000 invested 
or after day one, you have 10,000 invested and you're at the mercy of the stock market. So it really doesn't matter. Yes, your cost basis could be lower, it could be higher, but really uh, the stock market goes up generally 80% of the time. It's really a bear market about 20% of the time. So chances are, if you're dollar cost averaging, you're averaging up, not down, versus lump sum investing. You're getting, today's prices might be the cheapest prices compared to a year from now. So you might be getting the best value today, of course, not always the case. We've seen March 2020, we've seen 2008, 2009, but it more, it's more likely that the prices will be higher than lower. So once you have this automated strategy, you have your index fund set, what I want you to do with your investments is forget about them. Your investments do not exist to you any longer, except during this one magical time of year that I like to call rebalancing season. Now, rebalancing season happens sometimes quarterly, sometimes annually for different investors. For me personally, rebalancing season happens on the loveliest day of all, Valentine's Day. Why did I pick Valentine's Day? Well, it's a day that I always remember because I got to get my wife some flowers. See, I got the flowers in the background. I know it's not Valentine's Day. I still get flowers. But because it's a day that I remember, it's easy for me to remember on February 14th, it's time to rebalance your portfolio, Okay, So I remember that day. You could pick your birthday, your anniversary day. You could pick the last day of the year, the first day of the year, whatever works for you that helps you rebalance. Now, rebalancing is a useful tool. Let's say you have one index fund. Forget about rebalancing. There's nothing for you to rebalance. But let's say you have two index funds. If you have two index funds, you have an asset allocation that's maybe 80% to one and 20% to the other. Throughout the course of the year, as you're putting money in, as the market is moving, the market's a living, breathing thing, the price goes up, the price goes down, your 80-20 balance gets out of whack. Now, some people will adjust this quarterly, some people adjust it monthly, some people adjust it uh, weekly with their deposits. I recommend adjusting it once a year. The reason being is you wanna let some of your winners run. So for example, small cap value from Valentine's Day to Valentine's Day had a 79% return, okay, in one year. If I would have adjusted that, let's say I would have stopped the return of small cap value because it exceeded 20% of my portfolio, went to 30%, and I cut some of it to make it 20 again, I would have cut all those gains for the next three quarters versus kind of letting it run for the whole year and then readjusting it at the end of the year and seeing what you have. Once you do that, again, you're gonna shut your portfolio for the next year and you're not gonna worry about it. That, my friends, is what investing is. Investing is not the stuff that we see on YouTube today. Investing is not picking penny stocks that go to the moon. Investing is not uh, buying or taking out second mortgages to put into a Dogecoin. Uh, investing is not flashy. If somebody is proud, uh, take that back, not proud. If somebody is telling you how well their investments are doing, I would run the other way because you should not have this much excitement around investing because it's not really that exciting. It's kind of like watching paint dry. A good analogy is this, right? Uh, you have, if you have a house, if you own a house, you have a backyard and you mow the lawn once or twice, uh, every uh, once a week or every other week. Well, you don't sit there and watch the freaking individual grasses grow in your lawn, but you know, after two weeks, well, the grass has grown. I got to mow the grass again. Same thing with investing in these types of investing strategies. You don't see in an index fund, you don't get those 10% days. You don't see the stocks rise up. 
But if you turn off your portfolio and you turn it back on at the end of the year, you might see, oh, I was up 20% or I was up 30%. That is the power of investing. The power, the, the thing that I want you guys to understand is, let me just turn on the live chat here to make sure I'm got your chat rolling. Okay, the thing I want you guys to understand is if you're watching your portfolios, you're more likely to make changes to your portfolios. And the worst thing you can do is if you have a well thought out strategy, like an index fund strategy, you picked some index funds and you got them uh, and, and you're invested in them and you got them rolling, the worst thing you can do is hurt yourself by stopping that strategy because you saw something else and you jump on something else at precisely the wrong time. And then all of a sudden, you're just jumping around back and forth, back and forth. You're not building any sort of momentum. What you're doing is just shooting yourself in the foot because you can't decide on a strategy. So it's very important when you pick it, turn that portfolio off. This also takes me to my last point that I want to make, and that is that index funds, mutual index funds, and ETFs are not the same. I know that people can have both and they can coexist. I'm not going to argue with you on that point, but they're not the same. What I've seen in my five years of investing is that anytime that I am in a ETF, I have this urge, this undesirable urge. And again, I'm only human guys. And then unfortunately, well, fortunately, we're all human. But unfortunately, the human psyche is you, you can do a little bit better, right? You just want to you, you want to be so rational and so efficient that you want to squeeze out that last half a percent. And ETFs allow me to do that. And they also allow me to underperform the funds that I'm in because I'm always making changes. So if you can help it, if you're like me, where you can't uh, stand seeing the price change and, and, and trying to get the best buying opportunity. If you're like me and you're thinking the market is going to open down today, but it's going to close up. So I'll buy today and then try to sell, to, uh, you know, at the end of the day to try to time it. If you're like that, do yourself a favor, stick to mutual index funds. Do not buy ETFs at all. Uh, if you are a stone cold investor, which I know there's plenty of you guys on here that are, if you're a stone cold investor, by all means, Ignore what I'm saying, and you can have ETFs as well. So that's it. That's uh, essentially what index funds are. Let me jump into the chat real quick, see if I missed a lot here. All right, so we got Conscious is in the house as well. Shout out to you, Conscious. John, see what Ethan says. Uh, does the fact that indexes themselves have selection criteria and companies are added by committee of real people make indexes active in some way it does ethan uh it does because uh, let's use the s p 500 that's actually a really good question so what ethan is saying is uh, for example the s p 500 which is is a very popular index you're going to have a committee that sits on the uh standard and poor board and they have a selection criteria of the company has to be profitable for this many quarters they have to have a market cap of this much before they can get added onto the s p 500 but even then, even if companies meet that, like we saw Tesla meet that, the committee will still vote to see if they can get those companies added. So yes, that is a sort of an active element to uh, investing. But Ethan, what I'll challenge you on is, I'm not saying the S&P 500 is a perfect index, but what I'll challenge you on is the S&P 500, when they vote on these companies, um, they're adding one company or maybe dropping one company. When you have an actively managed fund, they're dropping 
half of their portfolio within a year. That's the biggest difference. The S&P 500 will, based on criteria and based off this board, will change and, 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 and remove companies. But we're talking a handful of companies uh, versus companies that uh, on an active fund, sometimes, like I said, half. Sometimes I've seen 100%, 200% turnover. So that's a very good question, though, Ethan, a very good question. All right. Uh, Jeremy says, I've recently discovered Bogle's several books. Um, Jack Bogle is, um, how do I put this? Jack Bogle is a legend, uh, uh, Jeremy. So I've read, actually, I've read all his books, but I, I go back to a couple, uh, Bogle on Mutual Funds, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing, Enough, uh, Clash of Cultures. I mean, some of those are, are good reads that I honestly, when I need uh, sort of material, I need inspiration. Sometimes I just have questions myself again, because I can't keep it all in the noggin. I do go back to Bogle's stuff and uh, any one of his books I'd recommend, but if you if you recently discovered a couple, the little book on common sense investing is literally like a Bible that I keep around. If you're an index fund investor, that is, I like to call it the index Bible. All right, Ethos says index funds are the easiest way to build wealth. Absolutely, Ethos. Now, Ethos, Ethos is a very smart guy. Ethos has a portfolio of single stocks, dividend stocks, does a really good job of explaining different sectors, different industries that he's in. Uh, I actually like his channel and I, and I view his content frequently. One thing I think us investors will recognize is sometimes we do have an overconfidence bias and it's important that we know that we're benchmarked to something. So I'm sure Ethos, you already do this, but you're probably benchmarked to some type of large cap value index, right? If you're a dividend investor and you're comparing your performance of your portfolio to that large cap value index uh, and seeing how well you're doing. I think it's important if you do pick individual stocks, you're benchmarked to something so you know how well, how well you're doing. Uh, everyday process tracking error is important. Absolutely, tracking error is, is sometimes could be everything for an index fund. It could be a deal breaker. If you get into a fund and it's uh, like my small cap value, it's tracking the Russell 2000 value index, and my fund is doing opposite of the Russell 2000 value index, then why am I in this fund? So yeah, uh, tracking error is very important. What are your thoughts on buying Berkshire Hathaway? Carnivore Nurse asks. Um, well, it's expensive stock, so if you can buy it as a fractional share, I don't know what class you'd be getting, uh, but uh, I, I again, it's, it's I wouldn't do it. Honestly, I just wouldn't do it because again, even if you can't get it as a fractional share, that's really micro investing. You're trying to buy a share that's worth God knows how much now. Um, I, I don't think it's a good idea, even though I understand that Berkshire Hathaway is diversified within the holdings that that company has. Why not just buy a Fidelity Zero fund or a total market fund? Jeremy says, broad market index, low expense ratio, no load funds, and tax deferred accounts. Absolutely, in any accounts, Jeremy. Uh, Ethos says, Vanguard, VOO, or BlackRock's IVV? Yeah, VOO, I like that better. But yeah, BlackRock, uh, uh, the IVV is the same. They're both S&P 500. Uh, Kernmore said, is it wise to hold off on buying a total international index fund to grow your wealth faster as a new investor? That's a good question. Uh, man, it's hard for me to answer that. So if you guys watch my channel for any period of time, I was anti-international funds because they underperform 
the US markets for the past 30 years, right? So why would I wanna be in something that's underperforming the US markets? And if you're trying to build wealth, you wanna be focused in a total market or an S&P, get, like I always say, get your first $100,000 into that one fund. Just focus on building that fund. And then from there, you wanna diversify out. So yeah, if you're looking to build wealth faster, I would say you don't need an international fund right away. But I think it's so important that you do have an international fund. And I'm willing to admit I was wrong in the past saying that you didn't need an international fund. International funds, and I'll put out more videos on this, they serve a purpose because they're uncorrelated with U.S. markets. Uh, international funds usually comprise of uh, Japan, Germany, Britain, and a couple of other uh, developed variants and a couple of other developed countries. And then as well as uh, about 20 to 25 percent in emerging countries. Uh, like China. So it's important to have that because if, uh, for example, two days ago, the U.S. stock market was down like one and a half percent or one percent, the international market was up one percent. So if you were all in in the U.S. market, that day your portfolio would have been down one and a half percent. If you were in both, let's say a 60-20 mix, you might be down only half a percent. So it serves a purpose. It's not like a bond, but it is more of a large cap value uh, than a large cap blend with the international side. Most of the international companies are in value sectors. Um, that could change again as the world becomes more uh, globally diversified and really a lot of U.S. companies do business internationally. So a case can be made for either. It does slow down growth a little bit historically in the past 50 years. They've kind of been neck and neck, but the last 30 years, the U.S. has really outperformed. So there could be a case that international is undervalued in today's market and that international might outperform if we use the principle of reversion to the mean. So hopefully that helps. Uh, next question is, would adding large cap value to a Moki 3 portfolio make sense? It would if, um, again, trying to think what, there is no negative to adding large cap value. I mean, large cap value will do better than the S&P 500 long-term. The only thing uh, conscious that I would say is by adding uh, a fourth fund to the equation, you're now creating a little bit of complexity. Uh, complexity causes you to overthink stuff. You overthink stuff, you might start to make even more changes. You might say, well, I got a large cap value. Why don't I have a, uh, why don't I have a, a mid cap value, right? So then you add a mid cap value, then why I don't I have a international small cap value added? And then before you know it, you have a portfolio with 10, 15 funds and you're gonna go crazy. So yes, I mean, I, there's, it doesn't hurt anything, but you're over complicating stuff. Uh, and it, it really wouldn't be necessary. The reason, and let me, before I go to the next question, let me explain the Monkey 3 if you guys don't know. Monkey 3 is simply a portfolio that I created, but I used uh, essentially Jack Vogel's work with small cap value. So the Monkey 3 is 60% uh, total market or S&P 500, 20% total international market. Look for international funds that have at least 20 to 25% emerging markets in them. And then it's 20% small cap value. The reason I put only small cap value because small cap value historically since 1929 has been the best performing asset class. It's performed at 13.7%. It's done better than mid cap value. It's done better than large cap value. So instead of having all those different values, I just went for the best. Historically, I just went for the best and I ignore the rest because the total market will have large cap value in it. Even though it's a large cap blend, it will have large cap value. 
Total International will have large cap value. So there is no need with the monkey three strategy, there is no need to get an additional value tilt unless you really want it. It doesn't hurt anything, uh, but it, uh, again, I'll argue with you that it, it will complicate stuff uh, as far as managing your portfolio. But that's a very good question. All right. Any thoughts? Uh, this is Demancy. Any thoughts on, wait, any thoughts around turning it off for a single month or a week for rebalancing? Not sure what that means. Are you, are you referring back to when I was talking about rebalancing the portfolio? I, I, I wouldn't turn any automation off uh, for rebalancing uh, unless you're trying to rebalance with new money. So I've shown you guys in a video on how I rebalance with new money. The, uh, I'll use this as an example because I just put the video out. So I got $15,000 cash in my account that I d deposited and that threw my uh, asset allocations all over the place. That is the only time I would manually then buy and rebalance, but it doesn't mean you have to turn off your regular monthly uh, deposits. I still keep mine going. Uh, I, I manually deposit that 15,000 and I manually rebalance by buying and then uh, my monthly deposits or the automation part stay the same. Uh, Conscious says rebalance with new money. You got it, that's it. Uh, Kevin says, I love my FNI, FNILX zero commission total stock market index. Now. At FNILX, that's not the total, that's the uh, large cap blend, uh, Kevin. But yeah, that is, uh, it is it is a good fund. Ethos says, time in the market is greater than timing the market. Uh, what a, some powerful words by Ethos, absolutely. Uh, this goes back to when I said, put the lump sum in, don't worry about where you're at in the market today. Don't, if you look at the S&P 500 today, it's at like 41,500, right? or not 40, I wish it was 4,150. If you looked at the S&P last year, it might've been at 3,500, uh, 3, right? Last year, some people would have said 3,500, it's overvalued, I'm gonna wait. Well, if you would have waited or if you would have dollar cost average, you would have been buying at a more expensive price versus if you would have just put it all in, now you had this time in the market for your money to grow. Stanley is in the house. What's going on, Stanley? Stanley is our private member. Stanley says, what's up, Monkey? Thanks for dropping the knowledge anytime. Hey, welcome uh, to the uh, live stream, Stanley. Ethos says, help Monkey out and smash that like button. He's dropping knowledge for us tonight. Cheers to the like button. Where are we at? 49 likes, uh, 62 people. Come on, guys. There's, uh, what, 13 of you that haven't smashed the like button. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep drinking until you smash the like button. No, I'm just kidding, I'll keep talking. But you got, oh, there, there we go, there we go. Now we're at 53, 54. By the way, guys, uh, let me get this into the, today I'm drinking um, Barter and Trade. It's a Washington State Merlot. I am, um, I do like wines, I do like whiskeys, do like all kinds of different things. But uh, uh, today I've decided to go a little more mellow with the wine. Uh, every live stream do I like to loosen up a little bit and have fun. It's hard coming on here and, all right, we got the likes, 62 likes. I appreciate it, thank you guys. But yeah, it's hard coming out here, doing it live, no cuts, uh, no edits. Uh, so I do need a little bit of a relaxer. Don't judge me too hard, guys. I promise I don't drink all the time. And uh, this is only a glass or two. It's good for the heart anyways. All right, plan to hold my index funds for life. Want to pass them on to next generations, Everyday Pro. That's a powerful statement, absolutely. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that you build generational wealth with and you pass on to next generations. 
Um, one of the things that I'll touch on a little bit later when I talk about the crypto market, but that, that stuff uh, is so important that you can teach then your kids and your kids can teach their kids or your grandkids on how to be able to uh, pass these investments on and how to invest for future generations. Because something as simple as I showed you before, uh, 25 bucks a week compounded over 90 years. Now, 90 years, nobody's gonna expect to live 90 years unless you started investing as a baby, but your 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 kids will and, and their kids will, your grandkids will. So something that simple can turn into millions. Something even if you have a newborn, uh, if you're expecting a child or if you have a newborn, simple as putting opening up a, a, a UPMA account and putting in $2,000 into a small cap value fund. And then forgetting, forgetting about it. When they're 65, they're going to be multimillionaires. It's so powerful, man. That that's uh, especially when you when you put it in the right investment vehicle, like an index fund. All right, let's move on. I don't want to lose my comments here. 50 watching, 40 likes. Come on, folks. Oh, we got the likes up now. They saw me. Uh, they saw me threaten to drink, and uh, we got the likes up. So uh, thanks for that, Demancy. Though I appreciate it. Everyday Pro says, I'll become a private member soon. Thank you for that. Uh, hold off, don't become a private member yet. Uh, I changed the fee structure to a flat fee, so I'm waiting for YouTube to approve that. Uh, if you become a private member, it's just gonna kick you right back out, so hold off on that. Uh, Capital says, mutual funds are better than ETFs. Uh, for me, they are. Uh, again, uh, the biggest thing with mutual funds that the advantage they have is you can buy them for zero bucks, but that's not really an advantage anymore because now you have uh, fractional shares. But really the biggest advantage is they don't tr trade throughout the day. So you're not speculating on price. ETFs have their advantage. They're more tax efficient. So if, it's, if you're in a taxable account, it might be better to hold an ETF total market fund than a mutual fund. But if you're in tax advantage accounts, uh, I would go mutual funds all the way. Uh, the Thrill says, do you believe in the index bubble? Um, no, I don't. So this is a good question though. We can uh, open up some, this could be a good debate. So what Thrill's talking about, the, uh, the Thrill, uh, as far as the index bubble is, what if everybody goes to index investing, which so far index investing has taken the market by storm. So if I go to index funds and I'm here on YouTube saying get into index funds and you get into index funds, everybody else around us gets in, into index funds. What happens to the price of these index funds? Are they gonna just stay flat? Is there gonna be a bubble forming and the prices are gonna crash because price discovery gets eliminated? Well, the thing is, the reason there won't be an index bubble, and this is again my opinion, is active management always will be there to play a role, to find market inefficiencies. The Warren Buffetts, the fund managers of the world will always be there looking to exploit the market. So you can't, I don't think there will ever be a time where there's 100% uh, uh, index funds only, where there's no active management. There's always gonna be uh, Kathy Woods. There's always gonna be fund managers trying to exploit inefficiencies in the market. Um, so I don't think it's in a bubble. I don't think it will ever become into bubble territory because it doesn't look to outperform. It simply does as the market does, depending of course the index that you're tracking. So. If the S&P is in a bubble, then yes, indexes are in a bubble. Uh, but I, again, I don't think the market could ever really enter that type of uh, bubble scenario. I mean, we've seen something like the 2000s where we have a dot-com or internet bubble. 
that bubble burst and then tech stocks and certain sectors go to underperform. Even the S&P 500 was, was hurt in that decade. But again, if you want to label that a bubble, then yes. But I don't know when a bubble is going to happen. I don't know if we're in one now, but I don't think that index funds can enter a bubble because they just simply track the S&P 500. Uh, Jared says, just hit 4,000 yesterday after one and a half years. Dollar cost averaging to a three fund strategy. Well, big uh, congratulations, Jared. 4,000 is a big milestone uh, after, uh, what did you say, after one and a half years. So great job, man. Listen, I want you to do this. First of all, give yourself, give yourself a, a, a big hand and a job well done, but also think now that this 4,000 that you have will work in the stock market for the next whatever uh, many years you're gonna be having that money invested. And it's gonna turn into 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, maybe $100,000 if you have a big enough time horizon. So really be happy and be proud of, of the work that you've accomplished. And you'll uh, sit back one day as, as an old man, Jared, and you're gonna say, man, that $4,000 that I put in, it's now worth 150, 160. Uh, there's, a, I don't know if he's in the chat tonight, I haven't seen him, but DEK Outdoors, he shared his story. He put in 9,500 bucks into QQQ back in 2002, and it turned into something like 50, 60,000. One for him and one for his wife in their Roth. So celebrate all the small wins. I always celebrate any freaking accomplishment I do uh, within my portfolios because it's so important to understand how, um, imp it's important to understand how hard it is to do that, first of all, because most people can't. Most people can't uh, save $4,000 within a year and a half. But the fact that you've done it in, a, in an index strategy, a three fund strategy, uh, you've already beaten pretty much half of the investors out there in the stock market by doing it this way. So job well done, Jared. Uh, Everyday Pro says, go check out Ethos' channel. Absolutely. Uh, even though Ethos doesn't do a lot of index fund stuff, I still endorse Ethos. I think he's a bright, bright guy. Uh, Robin Solomon says, can I sell some of my index funds in my Roth IRA and use the money to buy another index fund without paying fees and penalties? Yes, you can. Uh, so. First of all, make sure the index funds you're in don't have any type of early redemption fees. Most index funds don't have that. That's usually uh, actively managed funds that do. And then also depending on uh, certain clauses, depending on your broker, some brokers don't want you to trade often, but usually if, if you're using Fidelity, I don't know if you are, but if you're using Fidelity, all you have to do is hit sell and buy another, enter the ticker symbol that you're selling, enter the ticker symbol that you're buying, and it'll just swap out that whole amount. So if you got 10,000 bucks into one fund and you wanna put 10,000 into the next, it'll just swap out that whole amount and make it easy. David Jones says, even Warren Buffett says he'd buy the, he'd buy the index, the S&P 500. Yeah, I think Warren Buffett says once he's uh, passed from, uh, once he passes away that he's going to put, I think 90% of his wealth or not 90, whatever he's leaving to his wife, but 90% of it in S&P 500, I think the Vanguard S&P 500 fund. So a lot can be said. I mean, the probably the greatest investor of all time saying that once he's gone, he wants uh, his money to be in an S&P 500 index fund. I think that's a very powerful statement. Uh, FZROX for the win. Yeah, let me talk about FZRX. FZRX is a good fund. So FZRX is, is one of those funds that I think 
over the next 30 years, and this is why I get excited, zero expense ratio. This is really uh, groundbreaking. And I think if Jack Bogle was around today, I know he's Jack Bogle's a Vanguard guy, uh, but if Jack Bogle was around today, uh, and he was around actually when FZRX was introduced, uh, he passed away in 2019, but I think he, he would approve of FZROX, zero expense ratios, long-term, if you can hold this thing for the next 30 years. Again, Fidelity's fees are so low that it's one and a half basis points or zero. It's not gonna make a huge difference, but it's, uh, it's a fund that gets me excited for the newer generations. As long as Fidelity keeps this fund, I think the newer generations are gonna be blessed with zero fee index funds. 20, 30 years ago, I think zero fees in investing were, were uh, unheard of. So yeah, I do like that fund. Uh, let's see. My largest positions are index funds. Just haven't revealed them yet. Ethos, I knew you. I knew you had a. Uh, you were gonna have a, a trick up your sleeve. Uh, I've been patiently waiting. I know you've. Uh, I, I keep hyping you up, but I've been patiently waiting on your channel to see your your biggest investments. Uh, I had a feeling you had. I'm gonna guess you have some sort of dividend ETFs. Some sort of. Uh, that's my guess, or maybe a total market, but I could be wrong. Uh, and until he's 17, FXKX versus FXAIX. Um, FXKX for sure. Not that it really is gonna matter over 30 years. Uh, honestly, they literally perform within five basis points of one another since 1988. So not that it's really gonna matter, but FSKX just because it has the potential to outperform in certain decades when uh, small and mids are in favor. John says, I have a TSP, it's a 401k, I think TSP is for, is it for school teachers or government employees? Uh, I'm contributing 15%, but I recently opened an IRA with Fidelity. Was it a smart move or should I add more money to TSP? Depends, John, on what type of index funds are available in your TSP account uh, versus uh, having the, the IRA with Fidelity, you're basically open to owning any Fidelity index funds. I think it's a smart move. Is it a Roth IRA? That's what I'm curious about. If you qualify for one, I would uh, put money into a Roth IRA first. Um, but yeah, I, I still like the idea of managing it yourself. Listen, when you take control of your finances and you, and you use a brokerage like Fidelity or Vanguard or Schwab, Fidelity has 61 index fund options. That's 61 low cost index fund options. In a 401k, you might have five, six, if you have a good 401k provider. If not, you might have zero. I've seen 401ks that the lowest expense ratio is like one and a half basis points. So I always like having broader options when it comes to index funds. That's why it's better to have your own IRA. But uh, yeah, it just depends uh, what, what's in your TSP, John. All right, Kevin Perez, Kevin Perez finally reached, all right. Cheers, Kevin. David Jones says, I have a TSP, great choices. I love CNS funds, also have a traditional Roth IRA. It's a good move, John. Yeah, so the, again, the with the TSP, the CNS funds, so you have like a, you guys have to correct me if I'm wrong, but one of these is like a S&P 500, 
uh, fund. The other one is like, I think an I fund for international. And I don't know if C is for bonds or what, but you guys have to correct me. I don't have a TSP, so I don't know. But yeah, with TSPs, you kind of pick certain uh, uh, funds as far as what they're labeled. You don't really have, again, what I'm talking about, which is being the access uh, to having all these different funds available, like a small cap value. If you want to do a value tilt, you might only have an S&P uh, 500, a bond and an international. Uh, John says, how do you feel about REIT index funds? Uh, I don't own any myself, John. The reason being, again, is real estate to me is a sector. It's not broad enough. Uh, I think I get the I get the idea that it's uncorrelated to the market. So REIT funds, if, if you guys don't know what those are, real estate investment trust, they're essentially, uh, it's an index fund that tracks usually the MSCI real estate index. So it's got 170, 180 different uh, real estate investment trust companies in it. They pay a pretty good dividend, usually somewhere in the three to 4%. Um, they're good to hold and tax advantage accounts if you're looking to have added fixed income. They also are uncorrelated to the market. So if the market's going up, it could be going down. If it's going down, the market could be going up. It's all kinds of uh, sort of uncorrelated correlated action prices around REITs. But here's what happens with REITs. Because they're sec sector specific, in the crash of March of 2020, the S&P fell 20%. REITs fell 40%, okay? And so if you had an additional allocation to REITs, you would have done worse than if you would have just had your money in S&P. So, but it works both ways. I'm not trying to say that there isn't instances where REITs are up. Uh, previous to that crash, REITs were actually outperforming the S&P. But again, because real estate is a, is a sector within the S&P, it's too too narrow for me. You gotta, you gotta go broader in my opinion, but uh, it doesn't hurt to have. And I tell you, what do you, and I tell you 17, what do you think about HSA? Uh, it's a magical, mystical account if you qualify for one. So if you have a, uh, if you're working through for a company and you have a high deductible uh, healthcare plan and you qualify for an HSA, please contribute to a HSA. You can put up to seven thousand dollars tax free. So the way it works is put in these seven thousand. The government, you get to take a write-off. Government says, okay, we're gonna write off seven thousand. If you use it for a qualified medical expense, you don't pay taxes. But here's the big kicker. There's a triple tax advantage to HSA. So you put it in tax deferred, basically, you don't pay taxes. If you use it for medical expenses, it's tax free. You can turn it into a retirement account. Once you turn the age of retirement, you can then use that money as retirement money for whatever you want. It does not have to be for qualified medical expenses. HSAs are better than Roth IRAs, in my opinion. Uh, if you qualify for them, definitely take advantage. I have, uh, me and my wife, we qualify for an HSA through her employer and we uh, uh, contribute to it monthly and makes, max it out every single year. And I do have a, a split in my HSA of, I, I don't usually do this, but because I'm putting this HSA for last, I have 50% large cap value. Uh, in Vanguard's large cap value, and I have 50% small cap value. Those are the only two funds that I have in my HSA. Uh, David Jones says you get flexibility with a Roth IRA. Required minimum distributions are required in Roth TSPs. Interesting, David. I didn't know that. So this is a good point uh, David brings up. And again, I need to educate myself on TSPs a little bit more. Uh, he says required minimum distributions are required on Roth TSPs. So what a required minimum distribution is, if you're invested in a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k, meaning it's 
tax deferred, the money that you have in your 401k is growing without you paying taxes. But then once you reach the age of retirement, you pull the money out, you're going to pay taxes. Well, some people say, uh, I don't want to pay taxes for as long as possible. And they do not pull money out of their traditional IRAs. Well, the government says, all right, we'd let you have your fund, but now you're 70 and a half. Uh, we're going to force you to pull out a certain percentage. And this is calculated versus on an RMD table. Um, I'm not going to get into the, the specifics of how it's calculated, but if you guys want to know more, you can go on the irs.gov website. But anyways, the government says, okay, this percentage you have to pull out and now you have to pay taxes on that money. So what David's saying is that minimum distributions are required on Roth TSPs. One of the advantages of Roth accounts is that it grows tax-free and the government cannot tell you when you have to pull that money out. You control when you pull it out. So there was no RMDs and Roths, but I guess with TSPs is different. Again, I can't speak on that. Uh, that is something that I don't have full knowledge and I never participated in a TSP. So I can't uh, say that. Tyler says, I love a good Merlot. Cheers, Tyler. Uh, Concha says, is there a reason to max out a Roth IRA before a taxable account? DCA both throughout the year, lump sum, the Roth first. Um, focus on the Roth first because that is going to be the money. So here's how I do it. This is the order uh, sort of. And I'm working on creating like a, I don't know how many steps. It might be 10, 12 steps. Uh, it's kind of like an order of how to figure out where to put money in first and, and, and how much and all that. But the first thing I would do, Conscious, is focus on any kind of employer match that you get. So if you have a 401k, uh, and your employer says, okay, I'll give you 5% if you put 5%, that's the first thing you're gonna do because that's free money, that's 100% return on your money, that's a no-brainer. If I had my wallet, I would take out 100 bucks and if I would've just kind of waved in from the camera, every single one of you in this chat would want 100 bucks. So yes, uh, take advantage of the free money. Next, if you qualify for a Roth IRA, focus on the Roth IRA. Every penny you can put in the Roth IRA until you max it out. If you're under 50, that's 6,000. If you're over 50, that's 7,000. Once the Roth IRA is done, turn back to your employer and say, hey, Mr. Employer, do you have a Roth 401k? And if Mr. Employer says yes, then you max out the Roth 401k. Now, if you are in a high tax bracket, some of this advice might not apply to you, so you should talk to a tax professional about how to maybe take a tax deferred, like a traditional account, and take the write-off on your taxes now to save money. But again, for most people, that's the structure I want you to follow. All right, uh, Kevin says, definitely max out your IRA every year first. Yeah, good advice, Kevin. After you take the employer match, of course. John, I'm also investing in a Roth TSP, 10%, 5% traditional to get the matching. Okay, cool, I like it, John. Uh, Justin says, just opened an UTMA account a month ago for my son. Man, that's awesome, Justin. Listen, Justin, uh, get that, uh, depending on how old your son is, I'm not sure how old the, the little guy is. Uh, if you want, get that, uh, what I talked about, putting 2,000 bucks into a small cap fund and forgetting about it uh, for your son. I promise you, you're gonna be a happy uh, man. If you, if you just wanna designate one account for him that he can use when he's 65, I would do 2000 small cap value. Forget about that account. Uh, just put it in your will and that's it. And um, might be the best decision you ever make, but you gotta give it the 65 years to grow. Uh, Capital says, I just opened a Roth IRA and trying to max out every year as well. Very good, very important. So guys, let, let me spend some time talking about this because I did put out a video about 
capital gains tax and kind of with President Biden uh, introducing in, in the new bill, trying to raise the capital gains, the long-term capital gains rate. It's so important that you take advantage of these tax-free accounts, especially like Roth IRAs. Let's say you invest in a great fund that makes 50% this year, right? But then that fund pays capital distributions. It does whatever it does. You owe taxes on a portion of that uh, payout that that fund makes. Or maybe you buy and sell funds. And some people do this. I wouldn't advise. But maybe you're buying and selling. You're going to owe capital distributions. If they're short-term, they're usually 30%. If they're long-term, they're usually 15 maximum of 20 The government is going to want more of your money. So they're going to probably raise capital gains taxes to somewhere in 35, 40%. I don't know yet. I don't want to speculate. I know it was just introduced. Nothing's official. So you need to outsmart them. They are giving you legal ways not to pay taxes on your investments. You need to find out those legal ways, which are Roths, Roth IRAs, HSAs, like Anatoly said before. And you need to maximize those first before you do anything else. And then you need to turn to your employer and say, Mr. Employer, what are my tax deferred options? Can I do a Roth 401k? No. Okay. Can I do a traditional 401k? Yes. That's still better than having a taxable account because at the end of the day, if you have a taxable account, you're putting in tax-free dollars and you're still being taxed on the growth. There's no uh, tax-free growth. There's no tax uh, deferred growth. There's none of that. You're still being taxed on growth. So really important that you guys uh, figure out not just to put your money in, into index funds, but put your money into investment via, uh, into uh, taxable accounts that, that really tax shelter your money, especially your gains. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a taxable account. I think it's important to have all three, uh, but really focus on the tax-free, tax-deferred, and then taxable stuff. All right, what's next here? Julia says, does it make sense to have FZIPX and FISVX? Um, Depends. What, what's the rest of your portfolio, Julia? So if you have like a S&P 500, you want to put FZIPX, that's fine because that's just the zero extended market fund. If you just have FZIPX and the FISVX, then uh, I think you need a more of a broader fund, like a total or stock market or S&P 500. But I think you're just asking if you have like a total stock market, should you have FZIPX and FISVX? I don't think you should. I think you should have FISVX. Um, it's going to perform better long-term than FZIPX. But but here's the big kicker. FZIPX is more small blend, mid-blend. It gives you more uh, diversification and it could potentially help you sleep better at night. FISVX is very volatile. It can uh, go up 2-3%, but it can go down 3-4% just as quickly. So it really depends. Can you handle the volatility? If you can, you're better off in small cap value. John says, ha, I went with FISVX because Monkey actually approved of it. Um, I, I, I <laughs> So, John, I do approve of FISVX. I'm, uh, just be very careful, guys. So be very careful. Okay, so I have this big platform here on YouTube, and I'm not even that big. I have 6,000 subscribers, but I know I can be influential. I know I can tell you guys a bunch of stuff, and I try to be super careful in the stuff that I tell you. Uh, I actually only will share what I do because I don't pretend like investing is this just one size fits all. It's not. There are so many different investment strategies that work for different types of people. So 
Yes, maybe I approve of something and maybe you see me putting five, $6,000 into something. That does not mean that's what you should do. I never, ever, ever would uh, try to lead anybody down the wrong path on purpose. If I led you down the wrong path, uh, just know it's the path that I'm on to, so I'm crashing with you. Uh, I'm very transparent on YouTube too, so I do show my portfolios, I do show my investments. I don't hide uh, behind anything. Uh, I don't give, or I don't try to give uh, any type of uh, sort of uh, short-term advice or you know stocks with a, 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 what's it called, to the moon rocket ship type stocks. I don't give that types of advice, but yeah, if you guys, have gotten into small cap value because of me. Just know small cap value is a very powerful fund, but small cap value can be a dangerous fund as well. So use it wisely. Uh, I gave you uh, the knowledge on it. I gave you the uh, weapon. It's kind of like a sword, uh, but swords can cut people and they can save people too. So yeah, that's all I got to say about that, John. Uh, what's next? Uh, Conscious says FIX, FISVX is amazing. And you guys love this small cap value stuff, huh? Julia says, me too, John. Just found out about Roth IRA this year. Wish I knew about investing sooner. Julia, you know, the fact that you found out about it this year is better than you finding about it 10 years from now. So uh, don't, 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 be, uh, don't beat yourself up too much about the past. The past is the past. Focus on the knowledge that you've acquired now, uh, and that will pay huge dividends. Conscious says, I hold both, but I don't see the big... I don't see that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, it's if you're talking about FISVX and uh, and uh, FZIPX conscious, uh, it's not it's not a big deal if you hold both. It's really not. Uh, again, I like the small value tilt better for simplicity. Keep three funds, but uh, some people can handle ten. Uh, if you can, kudos to you. John says, "Monkey, how long does it how long does it take once you buy shares? It seems like two days later before it is updated." using Fidelity, explain please and thank you. Yeah, John, so it can take up to two days depending on when you bought it. So again, mutual funds only trade once a day. Your money, your trade needs to be in before the cutoff time, which is 2.30 Central or Eastern Standard Time, I think 2.30, maybe Central Time, I don't know, I'm on Central Time. 2.30 my time. If you're Eastern Time, it might be 3.30. You need to get your trade in before that time for Fidelity to execute the trade then at seven o'clock Eastern or Central Standard Time. If you get your trade in any time after that point, then the market will open the next day, the market will close the next day, and that's when your trade will be executed. So sometimes it can take two days. Again, two days is not gonna make or break you. Maybe the stock market goes up, maybe goes down. It doesn't matter. It's not gonna make or break you. But yeah, mutual funds are different. It's not like with ETFs, you can open the market live and buy it at noon, you can buy it at 8.30, you can buy it, or whenever the market opens, you can buy it at three, you can buy it at any time. Mutual funds are different. You need to get your trade in before, and of course, you don't know what the price is that you're gonna be buying, so that's uh, another thing to consider. Does it matter that FZRX doesn't track the Dow Jones total stock market? That's a good question. So at the beginning of my spiel, if you guys joined me at the beginning, I said, pick index funds that track indexes that you know. FZROX, the reason it's a zero expense ratio fund, and this is kind of a little bit secret. Shh. I don't think Fidelity wants people to know this, but I'm going to spill the beans. I don't care if Fidelity wants people to know or not. But these Fidelity zero funds, the reason they're zero is Fidelity created specific indexes that they made up out of the blue. These indexes didn't exist before these zero funds. 
And these index funds track these fidelity indexes. They're not Dow Jones indexes. They're not S&P. They're not NASDAQ. They're not Russell. They're not Wilshire. They're not Crisp. Uh, these are made up indexes. Does it matter? Probably not. Um, if you look at FZROX, it's got about maybe 500 less holdings than FSKX, which tracks the total Dow Jones uh, stock market index. Is that 500 gonna make a difference? Probably not, but there is a case to be made within those 500, maybe there is one company that will be the next Tesla that we don't know that maybe FZRX doesn't have, but um, I'll get into performance a little bit later in this live stream. How are we doing on time? Cause I'm having too much fun. Oh my God, I already did an hour. Um, I have some performance numbers for these funds year to date. Cause I actually own all these funds. Uh, if you haven't seen my portfolio. So I'll get into that later. Uh, and you'll see what the difference is in performance. But um, to answer your question, does it matter? I don't think it matters uh, because I looked at the Fidelity indexes that they created. And if Fidelity doesn't want to pay the S&P uh, half a percent or, or one, one point, one and a half basis points to the S&P uh, standard and pours to use their naming rights, then they save half, uh, 1.5 basis points, that's fine. I think it's okay because even like the large cap blend, it's got 512 holdings. It's got the S&P in it. It just doesn't use the S&P naming rights. Uh, that's how Fidelity makes them free. So that's the secret. Does it matter? Probably not. For the international and for the extended market, it might matter um, just because there's a little bit of a difference, but I'll, I'll do a whole separate video on that if you guys wanna know more on that. Uh, Keith Jackson, how is FDVV? Um, I did a video on Fidelity dividend ETFs. Um, if you want to watch that, Keith, you can you can get my full thoughts on that. Um, but yeah, that's all I'm gonna say on that. Uh, CCIV is my biggest investment to the moon. Oh man, I hope you're joking. <laughs> I, I really hope you're joking. Uh, I don't endorse that kind of stuff on this channel, but I mean, if you, if you think it's going to the moon, man, um, God bless you. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, Everyday Pro, the only issue I have with uh, zero funds are the annual dividends. FXAS gets you that quarterly dividend that you can supplement with other income at old age. Yeah, Everyday Pro, that's a good point. So if you're young, you actually, it'll be beneficial for the annual dividends. If you're older and you need the income, you wanna live off of it, it's beneficial for the quarterly dividends. Uh, so yeah, I, I do agree with that. Ethos says, TSP has C, which is like S&P, index S, which is small cap, and I, which is international, F is fixed, and G is USG bonds. Ethos, I told you this guy was smart. I told you Ethos was smart. Look at Ethos dropping that knowledge. Guys, click on Ethos's link, go hit, subscribe on his channel. Ethos puts so much work into his videos and I know he's a really smart guy and he just he just answered a question I didn't know the answer to. So make sure you subscribe to Ethos. All right, Dwayne says, thoughts on FSKX and a taxable account, concern about it throwing off capital gains where VTSAX doesn't appear to do so. So Dwayne, this is a very good question. Uh, David Jones, I don't know if you're still in this uh, live stream, David Jones, but David Jones on my last live stream schooled me and he said, a VTSAX has a special uh, sort of, sort of like a special deal. It's set to expire where they will start to pay capital distribution. So yes, VTSAX, the way it was structured, 
was excluded uh, from paying capital distributions. So in a taxable account, I think if you wanted to, Duane, go with either VTI or ITOT, uh, something that's a total market ETF, you're going to save quarter of a percent, half a percent to tax drag in case FXKX has a great year and it pays out capital distributions. I, in my taxable account, own FXAIX, which is a Fidelity 500 fund, and I've owned it since uh, September of 2019, and it's paid zero in capital distributions. Again, I've been lucky, but that low turnover, I told you guys in the beginning how to pick funds, low turnover makes all the difference. So I think you're gonna be okay, but if you really wanna, you know, be picky and minimize it, then go with an ETF. You're gonna you're gonna do better with the with an ETF. Ethos says there are a ton of bad REITs and just a few great ones. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is again, sort of where where my uh, love hate relationship with REITs is. If you guys don't know, I'll I'll tell you guys another secret. Uh, when I first started my YouTube channel back in October of 2019, I had this stupid idea to create a REIT-only portfolio uh, where I invested in monthly dividend-paying REITs. And boy, did I quickly find out that is a dumb strategy. Uh, most REITs, yes, they. Uh, most REITs are not good REITs. So yeah, if you wanted to get into REITs, do it through either FSRNX, which is the Fidelity Mutual uh, Real Estate Index Fund, uh, oh, I, I, I snooze on the Fidelity ETF version now. FREL is the Fidelity ETF, FREL. The Vanguard is VNQ. That gives you at least a broader exposure. So that gives you some of the biggest REIT names, some of the smallest REIT names as well. So you get uh, a lot of the big, big dogs at the top and little dogs at the bottom. But picking them individually, man, uh, I still remember some of mine, LTC properties, realty income, uh, that's about the only couple. Of, oh, I had some farm one. I forgot which one it was. But don't 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 pick them individually. That's too narrow. Don't even do the 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 ETF or the or or, or the um, index fund version, in my opinion. But if you have to, then that's better than doing them individually. All right, HSA is the best. If you qualify, use it, max it out every year. Boom, Kevin. Listen to Kevin. Uh, Anatoly 17, I do have HSA and I contribute very, very uh, good, Anatoly. Rock Richardson, what's your thoughts on FDRR? Uh, I made a video, again, if you wanna look at the video, it's called Fidelity Dividend ETFs. Uh, watch the video, you'll get my full thoughts. Um, I'm not not a big fan. Uh, and, and some people might, might think, you know, I'm paid by Fidelity, guys. Fidelity doesn't pay me a single penny. I'm not associated with Fidelity. I don't speak on Fidelity's behalf. I just like the platform, but I'll be the first one to call them out if they put out bad products. I think these uh, ETFs that they put out are some bad products. So just my opinion. Uh, Matt Lips Lipston says, Mookie, thank you for all you do. Any thoughts on FSMEX, Medical Devices Fund? I currently have this in my Roth account along with FXKIX and FZILX. So FSMEX, uh, Matt, is a actively managed, I think, uh, medical something sector. I know you said devices, but there's another sector that they're in. I forgot what it was. Uh, it pays, it's got a high expense ratio. It goes against everything that I teach um, to, to people. So I, I, I can't recommend it, but if you have it, I mean, it's in your Roth, it's probably done well for you. I'm not saying it hasn't. Um, but it's not something that I would, I would endorse long-term to hold. 
I would get out of it if I personally owned it, but uh, you can do as you please, sir. But yeah, it's not something I can endorse. John says, Mucky, how'd you get so smart? What is your background? And thank you for your knowledge. Uh, John, so I think this keeps me smart. I'm just kidding, guys. That's not what keeps me smart. Um, here's my background, John. So I have a business degree uh, with a minor in international business and uh, a minor, I have two minors, a minor in international business and a minor in entrepreneurship. Uh, I took a couple of finance classes in college. I'm not a finance major. I took some finance classes in college. Um, I was always a numbers guy. I was always, always a math guy. But the reason I learned a lot about investing was actually through sort of a personal traumatic type experience where um, up uh, 2017, I, let me give you the full background. So I finished business school, okay, in 2012. So that kind of ages me. I'm 31 years old. 2012, I graduated from business school. So I was in college during the Great Financial Recession. Come out of school, there's no jobs for me. Um, I can get some entry-level work, but I'm competing with people that have been in, in business for 15, 20 years. And, you know, as far as consultants, um, uh, business managers, all kinds of different things. So I don't have any work for me. So what I decided to do is I decided to get a CDL um, and drive a big rig. So I did that for three years of my life. Um, not the smartest decision, but it, I, I chased money. And um, well, from there, I went back and uh, focused on civil engineering. And I got certified with the state of Illinois. I live in Illinois uh, as a bridge inspector. And I did that uh, where I would uh, uh, basically uh, be the head inspector as they would build bridges. Um, the head engineer on site there, not the, not the uh, as they called him, the, uh, the resident engineer, but I would be the head one on site. So I was the one in, in the boots, uh, in the mud. And I loved that job. I, that job paid a lot of money, but I got laid off in 2017. And I realized I had a problem. Uh, the problem is I needed my freaking paycheck to survive. And from there, I picked, I came across a book well, I came across a coworker. After that, I took a bunch of odd end jobs, but uh, I settled in 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 the banking business in, in 2018. And I came across a coworker who I sat across, and every day I'd say, "Hey, Dan, how are you doing?" He'd say, "Better than I deserve." And I said, "What? What does that even mean, Dan?" And he's like, "Better than I better than I deserve." And he finally said. Oh, you know, this is from uh, Dave Ramsey, the radio show. So said Dave Ramsey, "What is that?" Uh, blah blah. Long story short. Um, I come across the Dave Ramsey show, I read the Dave Ramsey book, and all of a sudden I just love this stuff. I mean, I'm paying off debt and getting ready to uh, save uh, three to six months of my uh, emergency fund and uh, all this great stuff. And from there, I was introduced to, um, not introduced personally, but I was introduced to Jack Bogle's work through... Bogleheads podcast, or not Bogleheads podcast, the Bogleheads forum online. And that's when I picked up my first book on investing, which was Jack Bogle's um, book, uh, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing. And that book honestly taught me everything I needed to learn. Of course, later on, I've you know, probably I read a book every week now and stuff is all up in here, but that's really how I got started. My background is in business. My background's in engineering, John, but uh, I don't think I'm that smart, honestly. I think I use common sense principles. I use common sense advice 
Uh, I don't try to outsmart myself. Uh, I think a lot of the problems with investing is people think they're smarter than they are. Uh, nobody knows what the stock market's gonna do. Nobody knows really what uh, what anything is going to do. That's the great uncertainty. That's why there's a premium paid with investments. But um, long story short, John, self-education, man. Pick up a book and started reading. And from there, it's turned into this YouTube channel. And now it's turned into me monetizing my knowledge back to the universe and teaching you guys what I know. So thanks for the question. That's a good question. Everyday Pro, Sometime there are sneaky administrative fees with HSA to avoid fees with my company HSA sponsor. I have to do transfer from company sponsor to Fidelity. Yeah, there there is. That's a good point every day. So not every HSA, uh, it, it's just like 401ks too. 401ks have administrative fees, believe it or not. Um, it depends who the plan sponsor is. So luckily from my HSA uh, with my wife, the plan sponsor is Vanguard. So we use Vanguard stuff, uh, Vanguard mutual funds. Um, actually, Vanguard is not the plan sponsor, but Vanguard mutual funds are the funds that are available and there is no additional fees to purchase them. Uh, but yeah, it's important to know that and that's that's a good point. That's a little bit more something that's personalized. You're gonna have to talk to your administrator to find out. Every company is gonna be different. I can't give you any kind of good advice on that. Uh, Capital says, thank God for YouTube, valuable information. Capital, you couldn't be any right, man, any more right. YouTube is an interesting thing. I never thought I would come on YouTube. Uh, I don't want to lose the position. I don't. I, I never thought I would come on YouTube to uh, reach such a big audience. And what do we have now? We got ninety. Look, man, we got ninety people watching this. Who the heck am I, right? Like, but this is the power of of the internet. We have something that's uh, that, that's very important. So yeah, thank God for YouTube. All right, let me get back on track here. I just lost your, uh, sorry guys, I'm trying to keep up with the chat. The last thing I just read was, thank God for YouTube, but I can't find it. Where you at, Capital? There he is. All right, uh, John says, this is so much better than those Deutschcoin live streamers. Uh, thanks, John. Yeah, man, I'm never gonna, never gonna endorse that stuff. Uh, even it, even if it does end up being the future, it's not going to be Dogecoin. I'll give you, I'll give, I'll guarantee that much. Uh, Sid says, "Are the are the charges that ch wait? Are the charges when you buy Vanguard funds from Fidelity and vice versa? Trying to step set up Roth IRA, I want to mix my portfolio with Vanguard and Fidelity, and want to reduce fees. Any rec recommendation on M1 or others? Yes, uh, Sid, there is going to be charges if you're going to be buying mutual funds." If you're gonna be buying the Vanguard ETFs on Fidelity, there is no charge. Fidelity is commission-free. I can't speak on Vanguard. I do have a Vanguard account. I own uh, Vanguard mutual funds. I don't know if I can buy Fidelity ETFs on there, but if I could, I still wouldn't because I don't like the Fidelity ETF options. But yeah, a better platform would be something like an M1 Finance where you can buy any ETF you want, but Fidelity does that as well. You could buy any ETF, but. What's cool about M1 Finance that you actually mentioned, it, it does have automatic um, allocation. Uh, so they call it dynamic rebalancing. What it does is you set a target allocation. So let's say you use the monkey strategy, 60 total, 20 international, 20 small. You set that, you set the auto deposit and M1 Finance rebalances constantly and you don't have to worry about a thing. So it is a cool platform. Again, there's still a newer platform. I had problems with them. I don't recommend them for big balances because uh, I've had issues with them, but uh, they are good at that.
All right. Kevin says, I'm so proud of everyone in this room tonight. Many people using the zero commission funds and placing them in their Roth IRA. Very smart movers and shakers. Heck yeah, Kevin. Uh, let me give a hand to everybody that's using zero funds and Roth accounts. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're doing that in Roth accounts, you're doing something that, that's magical. You got no expense ratios and it's growing tax-free. I mean, that's just like a, that's like a, you know what? That, that deserves a drink. All right. Whitestone, what's up, Wookie? What's going on, Whitestone? Good to see you in the chat. Uh, you're not Whitestone. You're with One Stone. I'm sorry. With One Stone. I apologize. Uh, Lung Mung says, is FSPGX good investment? No, it's not. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's No, I'm not kidding. It's not a good investment. So FSPGX, uh, it's something that has, uh, it's a good thing that I own this one because I got to learn from it myself. I was an owner in FSPGX. It's a, if you guys don't know what FSPGX is, it's a large cap growth. It's essentially pretty much a NASDAQ fund, but it's like 50, 55% technology. The reason it's not a good investment, we saw what it's done uh, in the past. When I owned it, I think I had something like 25, 30% gains. As soon as I sold it, the thing went negative. So I sold at the right time. But the, the problem with large cap growth is it, it will have a few years where it might outperform for a couple, uh, say two, three years. But then over the next 10, 15, 20 years, it's one of those funds that tends to underperform the broader market. So we saw in the dot-com uh, bubble, I'm sure FSPGX wasn't around, but I'm sure if it was around the dot-com bubble, it would have ran up like this and then it would have crashed. And then for the next 15 to 16 years, it would have underperformed the S&P 500. So it's not a good investment in my opinion long-term. But that's just my opinion again. Uh, target date funds. What other funds would you invest with? So uh, if you have target date funds, if you guys don't know what those are, those are just funds that uh, basically you, Fidelity calls them their freedom funds, but I think Vanguard has their own version. Everybody has their own version, but they're funds that uh, get in and they track uh, a specific uh, retirement year. Usually they're attached with retirement year. So you might see a 2050, 2055. And the, the funds that are within them are, if you're in the target index funds, the funds that are within them are going to be index funds and they over time uh, basically get more conservative. So let's say you get in a 2055 fund, today you're 25, 30 years old, however you are to be in that fund. That fund might have 15% bonds, it might have 60, 70% stocks. When you're closer to retirement, that fund's gonna have more like 50 or 60% bonds and 40% stocks. So those are target date retirement funds. They're good funds if you wanna be a set it and forget it type of investor. Yes, there are good funds. And you can pair a target date fund with something like a small cap value and essentially have the same thing as the Monkey 3 strategy, just a little bit more conservative with bonds. All right, what's next here? It says, is it good to use a taxable account for my midterm goal to pay off my car because it earns more than a savings account or a money market account? You read. Absolutely not. Uh, never a good idea. Um, here's a good rule of thumb you should follow. Most people will tell you five years or more you should invest in a taxable account. Here's the problem. You have a 50% chance on a day-to-day -day basis that the market's gonna be up or down, okay? So it's a 50% probability. One day it's up, one day it's down. 
If you take that out over five years, you're going to have a probability of six, uh, I'm sorry, two to three years, you're gonna have a probability of 68% that the market is gonna be up, but you still have that 20, uh, 32% probability that the market is gonna be down. If you got to 10 years, there's an 88% chance the market's gonna be up, only a 12% chance is gonna be down. If you have a midterm goal to pay off your car, and it's probably a two to three year goal, you're gambling that the market is going to be up or down. You don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. So absolutely not. Do not use. I know it's enticing. I know it can get you better returns. But let's say you're saving for your car and you're so close, you're ready to pay it off. And the day that you want to pay it off, the market's down 20%. And all of a sudden, the funds in there cannot pay off your car. So not a good idea. What are the plans for the future videos like two years from now? We only talk about funds. We don't talk about news in the market much, stocks, etc. So wondering how far can videos go? Um, I'm never going to talk about uh, stocks. I'm never going to talk about news in the market uh, because that's just noise. That means nothing. Um, the stuff that I talk about is funds. The stuff that I talk about is long-term investments. This is the stuff that matters. If you're more concerned about news in the market, then I mean, you can turn on any other YouTube channel or you can turn on the uh, the TV. But uh, that crazy guy, what's his name? I forget his name now. He's um, on CNBC. I don't know his name, but you know who it is. You could turn on him and watch him yell at you for half an hour. Uh, that stuff is not investing, but if floats your boat, floats your boat. Uh, what you guys say about Target A funds, would you invest all or some? Again, it depends. Uh, if if you want hands-off investments, put it all in, in target date funds. If you don't want to learn uh, any of this stuff that I'm teaching, if you don't want to learn it, or if you say, Moki, that's too complicated, or this is, I'm not interested, put it in a target date fund because you're still going to do better than most investors that are putting it in Dogecoin. Uh, do you see yourself investing in dividend stocks when you reach the late 50s, the thrill? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, not to make fun of people that do dividend stocks. I have a lot of good friends there are that, that do dividend stock investing. The dividend factor is not a factor that I have uh, sort of data on that shows that dividend stocks have better or higher expected returns than any other stocks. It's not one of the factors I measure. I measure value. I measure size. And of course, I, me I measure the type of investment, whether it's in the stock market, the bond market, or cash. I don't measure the dividend factor, so no, I don't. Uh, will never be in dividend stocks, unfortunately. Sorry to uh, disappoint. Uh, I don't really use target date funds. That's fine. Uh, I don't use them either. So you're nobody's gonna tell you you have to. But again, if you don't want to deal with this stuff, you don't want to learn it. They're a good uh, option. Make sure if you use target date funds, they're index funds. Because the sneaky people, sneaky people, uh, Fidelity does this too. So uh, Fidelity is not exempt, but I've seen 401k employers, they have actively managed target date funds charging 50 basis points, 100 basis points. That's 1%. That's a big no-no. They have to be index funds. If they're not, don't invest in them. Uh, I just want to say thank you for your talking, taking the time and doing this for us. Also, what you think about FBGRX? I currently hold some in my Roth IRA. Don't know if I should sell and buy the total market. Uh, Rabin, Solomon. Uh, FBGRX is like FSPGX. It's a large cap growth, but FBGRX is actively managed. 
Uh, not something I endorse. Again, if you've held it any period of time, you probably made good money. Congratulations. Uh, but it's not something I endorse. What do you think about FAR? FARMX? Is agriculture a good investment? Absolutely not. Nonsense, that is. Uh, Kevin says, a good balance of three or four funds only. Any more than that and you're spreading your money too thin, the largest percentage should be in the S&P 500 international small cap. You got it, Kevin. You're absolutely right. Uh, let me touch on that point, actually, because Kevin brings up a good point. I'm going to pour some more wine here. But Kevin brings up a good point. If you invest in, um, let's say, 10 funds. Excuse me, I'm just getting a little thirsty. But if you invest in 10 funds, you are taking away, there's opportunity cost involved, first of all. So let's say you have a 10 fund strategy and you decide to put 30% into the S&P 500 and then 10% something else, 10% something else. Well, you're taking away from having 100% in the S&P 500. So you're kind of slowing how fast these funds can compound. So if you put all your focus in one fund like the S&P 500, then, and I always say you should do this for like your first thousand or $100,000 investment, then all your money can go to work in that one fund and can compound versus you spread it thin. You got a thousand bucks here, 500 bucks here. It takes a lot longer for that compounding to happen. Later on, once you have 200,000, 300,000, $400,000, $500,000, you want to be more diversified than the S&P. But I don't see any strategy that takes you more than four funds that I think that's too much. So yeah, good point, Kevin. With one stone monkey, I don't think I ever heard you advise folks that they can open a Roth IRA for their kids. It's great to start them off with a head start. Uh, yeah, I haven't advised that because that's a very uh, specific situation. You have to have a kid that has earned income for them to qualify for a custodial Roth IRA, which will then be a Roth IRA that's opened in your kid's name, but you're the custodial manager, you control the Roth. So yeah, if you have a baby who's maybe a model for like the Huggies uh, diapers and, and they have earned income, yeah, that baby can have a Roth IRA. Uh, but most kids, I don't wanna say most kids, I don't know, I don't know if this is true or if it's a fact, but I just assume that most kids uh, don't have earned income, at least until they're 16, 17 when they're working. Uh, maybe at like a grocery store. I, my first job was at 15, uh, 16 working at a grocery store. Uh, it would be a great idea then to start a Roth, uh, custodial Roth IRA. But uh, if not, then you have to wait till they're 18 and, and they get their first job. But good good point. Yeah, if, you, if your kid does have earned income, get a custodial Roth IRA. Uh, that's probably the yeah, that's going to be the best thing you can ever do for your kid. Tax-free growth. Let's say let's say you have a baby, right? And the cutest baby alive and they're model for a, a diaper commercial and they're, you know, a year old. Well, you can just put them in tax-free growth at age one. They have 64 more years till they reach 65 years in retirement. That's some powerful, powerful compounding uh, for, for that baby in that diaper commercial. So absolutely, yeah. Custodial Roth IRA is very powerful if you qualify, if your kid qualifies for one. And your kid will thank you at the end. You know, they'll be like, you know, thanks for thanks for doing this for me, dad or mom. Miss um, Beauty Boss. Oh, I think she's referring to Whitestone here or with one stone. I'll ignore that one. Uh, do you have, uh, Anatoly 17 says, do you have, uh, do you have implants to become a certified professional financial advisor? I would be happy to be one of your potential clients. Anatoly, you've been trying to get me to give you financial advice for a long time. 
I did have plans, yes. Um, I found out one big drawback to becoming a financial advisor is I would actually be censored here on YouTube. And I like to do what I do on YouTube. I like to talk uh, uh, sort of without having any censorship behind me. So if I become a financial advisor, a, a lot of the funds that I discuss have to have to come down from my channel. I cannot give any specific uh, commentary on, uh, on, on on funds or on certain platforms or anything like that. So I, I do have plans, but I, I really enjoy what I do here in educating people. I think that uh, more people can be do-it-yourself investors and they won't need a financial advisor. So I, I, I do think uh, I won't be becoming one anytime soon, but you know, maybe if this whole YouTube thing fails, uh, that is another field that I can go into where I'll be uh, sort of still being able to educate and help people out. E-Read says, new to investing, I have both FZRX, FNILX. Should I get rid of FNILX and put it into FZRX? E-Read, I think you should. You're holding a large cap blend and you're holding a large cap blend. Uh, two large cap blends don't make anything else except a large cap blend. So uh, absolutely, I think you should just consolidate, get your first $100,000 into FZROX, move on from there. Good question. Jeff Callahan says, Mucky, just want to thank you for all your great content. Enjoying the live streams. Thank you, Jeff, for watching. Uh, these uh, live streams wouldn't be possible without you guys watching. So thank you. Ethos, the live stream is fire. Yeah, it's, it's lit. The live stream is lit. Uh, Clarissa Patterson says, good evening, Mucky. Good evening, Clarissa. To you, with one stone, you can use allowance to prove, to prove your kid has income. Really? That's something I did not know. So... If you can use your allowance as income for the kid, that's pretty interesting. Um, I'll have to look into that. I, I, I did not know that. Uh, Kevin, Kevin, what's up, man? Private member Kevin. By the way, guys, um, good thing I see Kevin in here because uh, let me read your comment first, Kevin. People need to go check out Monkey's podcast. Keep it up, Monkey. Thanks, Kevin. So, guys, Kevin is a private member. Kevin is a brilliant young man. Uh, but the reason that, uh, that I thought of this Kevin is helping me with a special project. I will be on the Rituation Room this Monday at 9 p.m. Central or Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. In a live debate, me and Ryan Giffen, I don't know if Ryan's in the channel. Uh, Ryan's a great guy, really smart guy as well. Uh, Ryan and I will be debating cryptocurrency. So if you guys want to check this live stream out, I'll make sure I leave the link to the live stream uh, in in my community. Oh, Ryan's in. He said Monday with a smiley face. So he is in here. So I'll leave the link to uh, Rich, uh, Rich's channel. Uh, Rich, I've been on a few interviews with. Uh, what's up, Ryan? I've been on a few interviews with Rich. I haven't been on Ryan's channel before. He's also a fellow YouTuber. Guys, feel free to check out his content. I don't endorse all the stuff Ryan talks about, but he is a very smart guy. Uh, very educated in the crypto space. Of course, I'm the crypto bear. Ryan's the crypto bull. And I shouldn't be talking because Ryan's made a fortune off crypto. I could never even imagine making that much. So uh, I think it'll be a healthy debate. It'll be a debate that I think we can learn from, both of us. I am never uh, going to say no to something. I think uh, when it comes to education, I can always further my mind and, and learn new things. So I'm uh, while I'll be debating Ryan, I think it'll be more of me learning from Ryan. But I do uh, have Kevin helping me out. Kevin's working behind the scenes here, 
Uh, so Ryan, make sure you're uh, make sure you're ready because Kevin's a smart dude and he's feeding me some good info on crypto. Uh, I'm looking forward to this debate. All right, let's move on. So Etho says it is amazing how how seemingly small occurrences can be life changing. Absolutely, man. John, better than I deserve. I knew right away that was Dave Ramsey. Yeah, man. I think we all started with Dave Ramsey. Uh, Cuban Beats 2017. Question, Moki. Once I get to your financial, once you get to your financial goal, dollars invested, how do you actually pull the famous 4% per year that would allow you to live off your money invested? Thank you. That's a good question, Cuban. I think I think we don't talk about... Uh, enough about how to actually live off this stuff, right? So we're always talking about accumulating investments, you know, getting your money in, making your money work for you, making your money grow. But what happens when you're an old man now and you want to pull your money? So the 4% rule, what he's referring to is a kind of like a rule of thumb. It says basically, if you withdraw 4% of your portfolio, um, if you're invested correctly and diversified across different asset classes and not too much in stocks, not too much in bonds, usually a 60-40 or, or, or a 50-50 uh, portfolio, you can withdraw 4% and you won't be touching the principal amount of your portfolio. So by you withdrawing 4%, you're essentially withdrawing the money that your money makes. That way you're never gonna run out of money. You're gonna be a millionaire forever. Um, that's a good rule of thumb. It's not always, it doesn't always work out that way. So the way you do that, I think is, and this is the part, this is the only time I really would recommend a financial advisor, but I would recommend you sit down with a fiduciary fee-only advisor, preferably one that charges uh, per session or by the hour, not assets under management, but somebody who just to talk to, to set up a plan. You'd like to sit down with a professional, uh, a third party who doesn't know you, but can learn about your finances and can give you sort of a plan on how uh, to live off your money. But essentially the way you do it is you're gonna be selling off assets um, and you're gonna be selling off in different accounts. So hopefully you've diversified not just your assets, but you've diversified your accounts. So you might have a Roth, you might have a pre-tax or a traditional, you might have a tax, uh, taxable account, you might have an HSA, and then you are going to work with your either uh, financial advisor, or you're going to work with a tax professional, like a, um, uh, who, your tax professional that does your taxes on figuring out what's the most optimal way to sell from which account and when to kind of play with your income. Uh, but it's, 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 again, takes a lot of work. I recommend that's the only time I really recommend talking to a professional, uh, but just make sure they're a fiduciary that have your best interest at heart. It's a very good question. You're a smart man. All right. Vic Lau. I watch Monkey all the time. Thank you, Vic. Uh, with one stone. Cardano is my choice in crypto. I don't approve. I'm just kidding with one stone. Uh, I just don't approve in it, of any crypto, but um, I've heard of Cardano. I know it's like in the top 10 in market cap, but that's all I know about it. Uh, I, I did. I ha uh, by the way, guys, uh, I don't know if Ryan's still in here. I think I just saw Ryan was leaving. Ryan sent me my first ever crypto investment. He sent me uh, five Bitcoin cash, uh, $5 of it for free in my, and now I have a wallet and everything. Uh, I'm really modern with the times. But anyways, I'm in crypto now, guys. I got five bucks invested, so to the moon. <laughs> I hope you guys know I'm joking. No, I'm not joking. He did send me the five bucks, but I'm not. A crypto investor. All right. Femi Oshi. 
is there a charge to buy VTSAX on M1? Uh, Femi, you cannot buy VTSX on M1. VTSAX uh, is unfortunately a mutual fund, but you can buy its uh, ETF equivalent, which is VTI on M1 Finance. Uh, they'll be the same fund and there would be no charge for that. Uh, Jeffrey Michael says, Freedom Index is better than Freedom. Yes, Jeffrey. Uh, this is, I think, when I was talking about target date funds. Um, you have the Freedom Index, which is the Freedom uh, Target Day funds. They're the index version. Then you have the Freedom Target Date, which is the actively managed stuff. So stay away from the active. Make sure it's indexed. And a great way to find out if it's an index fund or not, uh, when you're in your listing of holdings for your 401k, if it allows you to sort by uh, expense ratio or by fees, sort by the lowest fees, and the ones with the lowest fees are going to be the index funds. All right, let's see. Jeffrey says, freedom without index is active high expense ratio. Yep, that's exactly what I was just saying. Omil says, thank you for sharing your knowledge. Any thoughts on high dividend index funds? Are they worth it? Omil, I just put out a video on um, uh, dividend funds. If you want to take a look, funds like SCHD and VYM from Vanguard. Um, I'll let the video kind of uh, tell you if it's worth it or not, but it's one of the most recent ones I put out. Jeff Callahan, at what age would you start adding bonds into your retirement portfolio? What a wonderful question. I think 20 and 30 year olds should not have any bonds. I think at 40 uh, is the cutoff. So if you're 40, you can maybe survive without bonds. Uh, I plan on adding bonds at 50. Uh, but uh, the bonds return three to 5%. Uh, bonds are great in times of market crashes. I told you guys before, Eight out of 10 years, the market's going up. So eight out of 10 years, bonds are underperforming in your portfolio. So um, I don't see the purpose of them. If you're a seasoned investor, if you're a stone cold investor, you know what you're doing and you're smart and you know that the stock market can be volatile sometimes and sometimes it dips 10%. Um, if you can handle that, you don't need bonds as a 20, 30 year old. Sometimes I'll challenge as a 40 year old. If you are a fire person, if, if you're financially independent, retire early person, you probably need bonds. Uh, and the reason I say this is because your time horizon is not like the normal person's time horizon of, of uh, retiring at age 65. You're trying to retire at 35. Some of you guys are rock stars retiring at 30. Well, if you're retiring, you're probably not in the wealth building stage. You're in the wealth preservation or de-accumulation stage where you're living off your money and you're going to need bonds to really help be some fixed income, bring a yield to your portfolio where you can live on some of those distributions. But a uh, good question, Jeff, but anybody 20, 30 don't even, in my opinion, don't even look at bonds. Sid says 401k target date fund from previous employer, roll over to new employer 401k to transfer to independent IRA. Is it possible to convert it to a Roth IRA? Willing to pay taxes, but it is a good decision. Any advice? Um, so I'm assuming it's a traditional 401k. So yes, you can convert it to a Roth IRA. So the way you do it, and again, I, I would highly recommend working with a tax professional because there's some tax forms involved in this, but uh, just the basics of it, Sid, the way you would do it is you transfer it to a traditional IRA, a rollover IRA, and then whatever broke, if you're using Fidelity, Fidelity is really good with this. You just call them and you say, I want to do a Roth conversion. But the way you want to do it is, let's say you, and I'm just going to use fake numbers. I don't know what your situation is, but let's say you transfer over 10,000 into a traditional. You call Fidelity, you open up a Roth IRA, 
and you transfer from that traditional to the Roth 10,000, you're going to owe taxes on that at your ordinary tax rate, whatever that tax rate is. Make sure you pay those taxes out of cash from your account. Do not pay taxes out of the 10,000 that you're transferring. You wanna transfer over the whole 10,000 into your Roth. Because if you're doing a conversion, but you're paying taxes out of that IRA, then don't even bother doing a conversion. Uh, but please work with a tax uh, professional, your tax advisor, because the IRS would like to see a certain form filed. If you don't file it, you might have some problems with the IRS. I don't like having problems with the IRS, so work with a tax professional on that one, but good question, Sid. All right. I hope Mookie reviews the Fidelity Balance Fund. Uh, Vic, I might get to that fund. It's an interesting fund, but uh, no, I obviously don't have the time to do it on the live stream. But if I still remember it, I'm a busy man now, but if I remember, I will take take a look at it. Is it okay to take three-month loan from your 401k, Sir Fishing? Absolutely not. Uh, no such thing as a loan from your 401k. Do not rob your future self by taking out a loan from your 401k. It's one of the worst things you can do. I don't care what people tell you. I don't care if they tell you it's like paying interest to yourself. Anytime you take a loan from your 401k, those dollars that you had in your 401k stop working for you. The compounding stops. You're hurting yourself more than you're helping yourself. Of course, certain hardship situations arise. I completely understand in those cases, but please, if you can avoid it, do not touch your 401k. That's the last place you should uh, look for uh, as far as taking money out. All right, let's see what we got. Ryan says, imagine putting crypto in a Roth for a one-year-old compounding. Oh man, see, I know Ryan, you left, but Ryan's teasing me. Ryan's teasing me and he's trying to hype up this debate we're going to have on Monday. He's the crypto guy, but uh, I'm the anti-crypto guy. So yeah, I mean, imagine, uh, I'm going to challenge you to this, Ryan, before I, let me take a sip. Imagine a one-year-old that has a custodial Roth and you put it in Bitcoin. No, I'm going to use your example, Ryan. You put it in Bitcoin Cash. And today, Bitcoin Cash is, I don't know, seven, eight hundred bucks. Imagine, Ryan, that one-year-old turns 65 and Bitcoin Cash doesn't exist. You just stole a million dollars from that one-year-old, Ryan. How do you feel about that? That's a possibility with crypto. We don't know which cryptocurrency is going to exist uh, versus putting it in, in an index fund. And I know this is all tongue in cheek and me and Ryan will really uh, butt heads on this stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't think you should put it in crypto, man. Uh, Sid says, be aware of the fees for target date funds. Old 401k has enormous fees, upwards of 100 bucks a month. Just learning about this. Why I asked about rollover converting to Roth. Much appreciated. Yeah, I mean, Sid, I've, I've seen people that I've helped, family members that I help, I've seen 401ks that charge ridiculous amounts of fees. That's why I'm here to help people uh, hopefully see uh, that there is free options or cheaper options with index fund investing. And and the sad part is these fees, uh, I can understand and in, in, this is what's interesting about investing. So anything else in life where you pay a fee, uh, it goes towards giving you a better product. But investing, the more expensive the product, the worse the product actually is for you. So it's counterintuitive. Uh, it's very important that, you, that you're aware of the fees wherever your investments are. Ali says, do we have to pay capital gains tax if we trade on Fidelity Index Fund with, with one another within the first year? Yeah, Ali, if it's in a taxable account, 
whether it's one year, two years, 15 years, if you trade them, uh, yeah, you're gonna owe taxes. Sometimes it's short-term, sometimes it's long-term, depending on the tax lot. Log into your Fidelity account and check your tax lots where all the times that you bought it, you might be able to work with your tax professional on how to maximize uh, so you pay the least amount in taxes. But unfortunately, if it's in a taxable, you're gonna be stuck paying those taxes, man. All right. Cryptocurrency debate equals Moki and rant. <laughs> well, I mean, so Demancy, that's a good point. It's not going to be a rant because Ryan is going to be there and Rich, who's a, who's a great guy, and also Rich is a, is a Bitcoin bull. Uh, he's going to be there. So he's going to be a moderator. I don't know if Rich is in the room. Uh, oh, Rich is in the room. There he is. Rich says, it looks like I showed up at the right time. Rich is going to be the moderator. Okay, so Rich is going to keep me and Ryan from tearing our heads off. I'm just kidding. We're not. But um, I think it'll be fun. It will be a. It won't be a rant. It's gonna be. I'm preparing for this because I'm. I'm super clueless uh, when it comes to the the technology side of of crypto, like the whole blockchain. I mean, uh, Kevin's doing some work in the background for me and my private member. I've asked help from all the Discord uh, in my Discord from all my private members to educate me on this stuff. But I'm coming at it from a wealth building phase. And I know uh, Ryan's going to be coming at it from a usability phase. So hopefully, like I said, we'll educate each other. Hopefully he's got some points that I never thought of. And I have points that he's never thought of. And maybe we can come to an agreement, except I know for a fact at the end of this rant, uh, at the end of this debate, I'm not going to buy Bitcoin or any crypto for that uh, for that uh, matter of fact. Rich says, I'm excited. I promise to be neutral. Rich, you have no choice but to be neutral, man. I mean, you're like, um, these are like those presidential debates where, you know, you're like the Chris Wallace or the, who's the other, uh, who's the other moderator? I mean, you can't pick sides, man. You got to give us easy questions. You know, if, you, if you're going to give Ryan the easy stuff and then you're going to challenge me with the hard stuff, I'm going to call you out. So I know you're going to, I know you're going to do a great job, Rich. Uh, by the way, guys, help support Rich's channel too, man. What a great guy too. Uh, he works really hard in his channel and, and I really, uh, I know he brings on some people that sometimes I don't agree with too, uh, but that's okay. I mean, I'm not the godfather of investing here. So, uh, but uh, check out Rich's channel. He does a really good job of bringing different uh, people on his channel to talk about different investment strategies that really uh, support his work as well. Uh, with one stone, ETH is going green in the next update. Load up on Ethereum. Come on, man. Get that nonsense out of my room. I know. I hope you're joking. Uh, can you get closed caption with live stream? I don't know if you can, man. That's a good question. I really don't know if you can, though. Uh, I might have to figure that part out. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge, your time, valuable info. E Reed, thank you very much for listening uh, to this Friday night uh, uh, rant, if you will. Uh, Sir Fishing, why withdraw when you could take a loan out on your 401k and pay yourself back? Less fees, no. Okay, so. Right. Sir Fishing, when you take out a 401k loan, it's not like you're paying yourself back, bud. When you take a 401k loan out, I told you, your investments stop growing for that period that you have your loan out. What can happen is you might lose your employment. Right? So let's say you take out a loan, it's a five-year term or three-year term, whatever the term is, you're trying to pay it back. What happens is you're taking risk of if you lose your job, that loan, you better pay it off in full or you're going to have to take that money out of your 401k to pay for that loan. Um, also, when you take a 401k loan out and your investments aren't growing, you might be in a time where the stock market is blossoming 
and you're over here borrowing money against yourself. Never a good idea. Get a second job, Uber Eats, uh, DoorDash, figure it out. Only time I endorse this is if it's literally bankruptcy or this, take this option by taking out a loan. If it's a hardship, absolutely, I completely understand. Other than that, don't mess with your 401k, let that thing grow. Uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be your path to millionaire status. Uh, Ryan says ADA and HBR are the best crypto, in my opinion, best future growth. Get that nonsense out of here. All right. You can buy some of the Vanguard index fund on Fidelity, but they will charge $75. Yeah, Miss uh, Beauty Boss, that's true. You can buy VTSAX on Fidelity, but why pay 75 bucks when you can get it free on Vanguard, you know? Uh, Ryan Fisher, what are the three Fidelity index funds to buy right now? Um, see, Ryan, I get, the, I get the idea, man. You might be looking for some speculation on here. Um, I don't have like a, all right, so here's what, here's, all right, you're gonna get me in a rant now, man. I'm gonna get in a rant. Uh, I don't wanna get on a rant, but I'm gonna have to, because Ryan, you're gonna get me ranting. So buy now, stocks to buy, rocket ship emoji, hurry. Um, all that is, is really uh, YouTubers trying to get views. So when you're saying, what is the best uh, index funds to buy now? I give advice on the stuff that's best to buy now, tomorrow, 10 years, 15 years, 50 years from now. Um, I don't have what's the best to buy right now because I have no idea, man. And neither does the next YouTuber you're gonna watch or the next article you're gonna read. I would highly recommend you stop doing that kind of stuff, looking for the hot stock to buy now or, or the hot crypto to buy now and, and really focus on building long-term wealth, man. It's gonna, do, uh, it's gonna do wonders for you. Uh, Jeff Callahan, Mookie, what's your thoughts on using Roth conversions to help child with college? A Roth, oh, no, I'm sorry. Using Roth contributions to help a child with college. Oh, man. Uh, Jeff, I wouldn't do it, man. All right, so I don't want to make a lot of people mad because, I mean, I know you probably love your kids, but... You gotta take care of yourself first before you take care of your kid because if, if let's say you pull your Roth contributions, which you can uh, to help your kid with college, what's gonna happen is Jeff, I mean, I'm not saying this will happen to you, but what can happen is then that kid might have to support you in retirement. If that kid has to support you in retirement, you paid for his college, you both have become a burden on one another. I think if you haven't set up a college savings plan, um, Try to cash flow college as much as you can, really. Um, maybe have have your kid get a job while they're in college. I work throughout college, but um, I don't like the idea of using your Roth contributions to pay for college, Jeff. Uh, Super Chat Anatili. Anatili17, private member. Man, thank you, Anatili. I really appreciate that. You're, you're too kind, sir. I might become your financial advisor if you keep that up, man. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, Rich, Rich Ocean Room says, I'm excited. I promise to be neutral. I know you will be rich. Don't worry about it, man. I'm just joking. Uh, Jeff Callahan, look into a 529 plan in your state. Absolutely. Great advice, Miss Beauty Boss. Anything but your Roth, Jeff. Do not touch your Roth, man. Mucky, can I, 
Monkey, I can see you holding XRP coin. Nah, man, you got the wrong guy. To, you got the wrong guy. I'm not holding any coin. Uh, Jeff says, oh, man, I missed where's... All right. Can you uh, talk a little bit about ne negatives about M1? You said you wouldn't hold large amounts there. I recently got my wife on with the Roth taxable account with ease of rebalancing. Um, guys, we just passed 100 likes. So hold on, hold on. I'm going to get to you, Jeff. Thank you for 100 likes. Man, we've still got 70 people watching. We're still going strong. I don't know how long I've been talking. I feel like my mouth is super dry. I might have some more water. Guys, seriously, thank you for the 100 likes. Um, Jeff, so M1 Finance is a, good, is, is, a, is a good platform, Jeff. I don't want to take away from them. I've used them in the past. I currently use them. Here's what I had with, here's the problem that I had with M1 Finance. I think they're working, uh, they're working their tails off to get better at this. It's customer service. So M1 Finance was a nobody a couple of years ago and this FinTech platform really grew and they're a Chicago-based company and I'm from Chicago. So they, they didn't expand their customer service as fast as their growth. So I had problems when I was trying to bring in large sums, amounts of money to M1 Finance and through uh, doing a, a direct rollover in my IRA. And they it took them a month and a half to, to try to get it done. Different forms filled out and they still dropped the ball on it. And because they dropped the ball, they ticked me off so much that I pulled the, the, the money that I had in there and I pulled it all out and I said, I'm done with these guys. But then again, I thought about it some more and I'm like, man, this is such a good platform for beginner investors and for, for long-term investors because you can set it and forget it. So the reason uh, that I don't endorse having a lot of money in there right now, I know they will get better. I've, I've, I've seen interviews uh, from the CEO himself on, on Joseph Carlson's channel. And I've seen some of the projects they're working on. They're going to be a great platform, but right now where they're at, their customer service is lagging compared to Fidelity. Fidelity is like the Cadillac of investments. I mean, you got the luxuries, they're going to baby you. You can pick up the phone. You can get a rep on the line within like less than 30 seconds with M1 finance is different. So yeah, if you're just doing a set it and forget it type of account with M1 Finance, you're going to be all right, man. It's not going to uh, hurt you. But if you do need some type of customer service, uh, then it's going to be a toss up whether they're going to be good or not. In my experience, they've lacked. But again, I know they're working on it. I know they're a new company, so I'm willing to give them a second chance. That's why I started that separate brokerage account with them to, to give them that second chance. And I really believe that they are for long term investors. I wouldn't recommend something if I didn't believe there were for the long term. Robinhood, I'm telling you, I'm, I don't recommend. I used to push Weeble. Um, I dropped Weeble as well because Weeble started accepting cryptocurrencies. Weeble started having commercials about trading Dogecoin uh, at midnight. Their CEO was talking about trading Dogecoin. So I contacted my Weeble rep and something that I've been open about. I was a sponsor of mine that I didn't make money from, but because I don't endorse them anymore, I dropped them. So um, I, I wouldn't push something to you guys that I didn't believe in. Uh, but yeah, M1 has those problems. But if you can look past that customer service, I think they're a great platform. All right. Uh, uh, Rich says, I don't agree with Ryan's crypto thoughts entirely either. Um, all right, that's interesting, man. So maybe you're gonna, you're gonna make a good moderator then, because if you don't agree with him and you don't agree with me, that makes you neutral. Um, 
What should I do with FSPTX? Just over 12% of my account. Uh, FSPTX, is that the technology, the actively managed technology fund? I think that's what that is. Um, I would get rid of it, but uh, it's probably done you well up until this year. This year, you probably had poor returns, but man, I don't know, man. It's up to you. I would get rid of it, but it's your call. Uh, Demancy says, I got burned with a 401k loan about 10 years ago, took out a loan uh, and got paid off. The IRS made sure I wouldn't do it again. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, again, so important, man. It's... uh, don't think that it's free money or that you're borrowing money uh, to uh, pay yourself back. None of that stuff. Uh, Ryan Fisher, long-term growth. So the funds to buy now for long-term growth, Ryan. Uh, total market, S&P, small cap value, total international. Those are the funds. Uh, Ethos says, let's get one more to make it to even 100. Man, Ethos, You've been pushing it, man. We, we're at 106 likes, uh, 106 thumbs ups. Thank you, guys. Guys, I'm getting tired. I'm probably going to wind it down shortly. Uh, I've had a blast tonight, though. Let me finish out some of the rest of these comments and then uh, probably end it here tonight. I think we're going strong over uh, over two hours. Is that what I see? My God. All right, we're going to end this soon. I've been streaming for two hours. Um, Jesus Garcia, does my stay-home wife qualify for a Roth IRA? Do you have earned income? Uh, Jesus, uh, even if your wife is a stay home, if you have earned income and you file your taxes jointly, um, yes, but talk to your tax advisor, uh, your tax professional. I don't want to give you that uh, advice, but yeah, there is a way your wife does qualify for a Roth IRA if you do. Uh, Jared says, I have FSMDX in my portfolio. Would I be better off with a more total market instead? You mentioned waiting until you're 100. Uh, yeah. So, Jeff, or I'm sorry, Jared, if you have, it's okay if you have FS uh, MDX right now. What you're doing is tilting to a mid cap fund. Um, it doesn't hurt anything. Would you be better off all in FSKX? I don't know. I mean, if mid caps do better the next couple of years, then I'm going to say stick with what you got. If they don't, then yeah, you maybe would have been better with FSKX, but there's no way of knowing that. So, I would say stick with what you got. Guys, I don't endorse making changes for the sake of making changes because maybe I said something. Uh, Ignore that. Ignore that, what I'm saying. I mean, yes, I try to give good, uh, uh, sound advice, but if you're already in a strategy, at the beginning of this live stream, I said, stick with your strategy. Pick a strategy, stick with your strategy. Uh, Jared, you're probably better off uh, sticking with your strategy, man. Conscious says, have you compared VTWV with any other small cap ETFs? I have. uh, There is a small cap ETF that was brought to my attention. So first of all, there's better small cap value ETFs than VTWV. Um, The, uh, why am I uh, blinking on the name now? Uh, Guys, I'm tired. Uh, The Avantis funds. I forget the symbol, but the Avantis small cap value is kind of like, um, like the Dimensional Fund small cap value. It's a really good small cap value fund. And I would recommend it over VTVW, but it's got a higher expense ratio. And it's really for the hardcore factor investor. Um, then there is a S&P 600 fund uh, that it's a small cap value fund. Might be a little bit better, more value oriented. Somebody brought to my attention another small cap. I forgot. Is that iShares? I forgot the symbol now, but it, it's it's like freaking 69% small cap value. So there's better ETFs, yeah. 
um, if, if, if you want to go for it. I like, again, the Russell uh, 2000 value index because it's an index that's been around a lot longer. But uh, if you want to try a different one, absolutely, man, it doesn't hurt. Kevin thinks, says, thanks for everything tonight, Mucky. I appreciate all you do for the beginner and agreeing with some of my comments tonight. Well, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. I know you had a lot of comments, uh, a lot of questions and a lot of comments tonight. So thanks for sharing, man. Uh, Bark says, would you hold ARC? Oh, he went there. All right. All right. Hold on. I said I'll sign off, but I got to read this one. Would you hold ARC funds in your Fidelity Bridge account along with the total market fund? So Bark Charlesley. Uh, Bark, you probably haven't come across my channel before. Uh, so welcome, first of all, if you're new to my channel. Second of all, I wouldn't hold ARC in any account. Uh, I wouldn't hold ARC if it produced a bazillion percent. Um, it is not in line with the type of investment strategies that I suggest. Um, and if you have followed me for any period of time, you know I don't like active management. You know I don't like ETFs. I got nothing against Kathy Wood. I think she's fine. But, man, don't ask me about ARC funds. I'm the wrong guy to ask about our ARC funds. If you want an unbiased opinion, probably ask somebody else. If you want a really biased opinion, you should ask me, and I'll, I'll tell you they're terrible funds. Uh, they've uh, done something like negative 30% since February. So while well, the S&P's gone up like 11%. So... Oh, man. I don't know, Bark. Um, truly enjoyed this informational session, James Brown. Thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure uh, letting you, you guys. There's still 60 of you. I mean, you guys have watched me babble for two hours. There's still 60 of you. It makes it hard to leave, man. It makes it hard to leave. Uh, IJS, VIOV, all good. Yes, Jeff, those are good. AVUV, there you go, Conscious. That's the Avantis fund. It is a good small cap value fund. Rational Reminder tipped me off to IJS shares. Okay. Rational Reminder, that's um, Ben Felix, right? That's uh, I listened to that podcast. That's a smart guy. Guys should listen to him. Um, Sid says, I have so many questions, but next time, thank you, Monkey, for helping out beginners like us. Much appreciated. Have a good night. Sid, have a good night too. Best of luck with your investments. Uh, Bark says, I got in ARC funds early. Okay. Okay. I, I take back what I said, Bark. If you got into if you got into uh, Arc funds early, I take back everything I said. Uh, just erased what I said. Uh, thank you. You don't like Arc funds. Thank you, Miss uh, Beauty Boss. What do you think about SCHF Schwab International? I'm not sure. Is that the ETF? I think it'll be fine if it's the ETF index. Maybe I should sell my Arc funds, Bark. If you got in early, don't listen to me, man. Scott, welcome Scott. Scott's a private member. Scott is the first private member. Scott is also a very brilliant man. Uh, Scott says, checking in, F-S-E-N-X all the way. And you, okay, so S S Scott and I don't always agree. Uh, Scott does some active management. He does some strategies, but man, they work for him. So I'm not gonna say anything bad, but uh, yeah, Scott, I know you like that fund. I know you've made a killing, man. So keep uh, keep on doing you. Uh, look into QQQ or XLK and compare with ARC. Yeah, good advice. All right, so with that comment, I've made it to the bottom of the comments list. I've also made it to the end of my time, guys. I've been on here for over two hours, had a blast. 
thank you to everybody, first of all, who's joined me in the live stream, even if you could only stop in for a few minutes. I really appreciate you guys. Hopefully, I was able to share uh, and help answer a lot of questions on your mind. Hopefully, you guys saw the beginning part of the live stream. I'll leave this up for playback. I think I had a lot of good information on how to pick index funds in the beginning. If you're new, you're trying to understand how to do it, please watch that from the beginning. Um, hopefully, I got to everybody's question. I really hate to skip people, so if I skipped you, I'm really sorry. Uh, sometimes the comments were just kind of uh, flashing too fast, but thank you to all of you that watched. I appreciate you, and until next time, remember, move obstacles, keep